Welcome everyone to the 128th episode of Politically High Tech with your host, Elias Illusion Empire. So for this episode, we have two guests. Yep, there's another double guest whammy. Will we ever achieve a triple guest? I don't know. Well, I'm going to see. Well, this is going to be another very long episode. So you know how I do with guests. I just conversate with them get most out of it as much as i can i'm kind of a maximizer if you know if you could label me that um you will be correct so for the primary politics the first segment i have a guest a woman named jacqueline yap she is but you just call her jackie and once you get to interview um that's what she pretty be called she's a founder of the sexy political world traveler fueled by learning she's actually smart I mean, really smart. And she is, she draws on for past experiences. I mean, she's been to, of course, the United States, Eastern Europe, China. But she's putting out her roots with her husband. She reveals his um, ethnicity. So pay attention to the interview to find out what that is, okay? So we talked about politics and we mostly went through not just any politics you know politics itself is boring as hell let me just be clear i talked about is getting to know her why why does she do digital creation you know, sexy political is not just a podcast it's a website and she's been running it for a long time and then i'm gonna give you a hint it's at the beginning of president obama days okay yeah that early I know it seems so long ago, but that's all I'm going to share. And I'm just going to summarize what we talked about in very, very short. We talked about, you know, what those people need to learn and what the Democrats or Republicans can learn after the midterm election. And then, of course, we talked about our personal lives, why um, it affects our politics I mean, it's great, insightful, lighthearted, pretty raunchy, controversial, I'll say so myself. That's what we did. It's a pretty lengthy interview, and I won't be doing another intro because this one just wraps it up. And then for a second segment, we're going to go through mid-tech, going through three items. This one's going to be brief for a couple of reasons. It's because I have two very long interviews, and we're going to talk about stuff that's interesting, the trash. BuzzFeed is not going to use AI to produce content. I hope AI can improve content because all the pitiful excuse for brains there produce such crap. So, we're going to see what you can do with that. And then Chad GPT's been tested and it does pass the Wharton Business School test, which is a prestigious business school, one that the former president is attending. And it does well, but it has its flaws. And I'm going to get deeper into that. And then for the second segment, the DOJ renews its push to sue Google over the digital ad dominance. Monopoly, really. And we'll see. Yeah, it's, it's dominance. You can say it's nearly monopolistic. And then the states are joins Virginia, California, Colorado, Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, Rhode Island, and Tennessee. And of course, vac- of course vaccine. Of course, Google's going to put up a fight. I mean, that's what they pay to do, these lawyers. I mean, 
Kex was, oh no, the DLJ wins while Google's paying him shit ton of money. I mean, that's insubordination right there. But I'm on the side of the DLJ in the States. All right, that's all you're gonna get from it. To, and then for the weird topic finale, a second interview. Second interview with two people. The main character, the main interview was on Jonathan Melrod, but there's a rise of young star, Mr. Tyler. Yeah, I'm just gonna call him Tyler because I don't want to butcher his last name. He's a union organizer for Starbucks. Yes, not all Starbucks got unionization people. I mean, he goes in depth about it and how he gives many thanks to Jonathan Melrod. I mean, Jonathan Melrod is the more granddaddy of union organization fighting against the rich and powerful. And, you know, that was the thing that drew me to the Democrat Party when I was young. But then I became independent. I saw the bullshit of unions. I, I saw all that. And I and I openly admit to them. I'm a cynic. I'm still fully trust them. But maybe more unions do the right thing. They could win me back. Not to say I'm going to go full-blown left-wing again. I never will. I'm a purple voter, true and true. You know? And I'm still going to be a purple voter. I'm proud of that because I am not enslaved by the political ideologies of America. But I talked a little bit about his book, about why he did it, and some of his personal life. But I do plan to have him on again sometime for the next season. So far, it's planned to be much later this year. I need more reoccurring guests. It can't be Jeff Ward. Like Jeff Ward, he's great. But we need some competition there. All right, with that out of the way, let's go throughout 2023 ad, and then we'll start the podcast. Welcome everyone to the first segment. This is the 128th episode of Politically High Tech. And we have, and you heard me before, listeners, I'm trying to bring more ladies into this podcast. I don't want this to turn into a sausage fest, even though I have failed for two years straight. It's been overwhelmingly male majority. We need uh, female opinions here. It is not me getting woke brownie points. I could care less. I just believe we need more representation when it comes to different opinions, different lenses, and you know, different sides that some people might not pay attention to, don't know, whatever. But I'm here to expand your horizons, at least through the audio universe. So let's welcome, what, should I call you uh, Jacqueline Yap or Jackie Yap? Just call me Jackie. Or just Jackie. All right, so we call Jackie for simplicity's sake. And the first question I have is, um, I'm sure they want to get to know about you. What is your why to starting a sexy political website? So in 2009, yeah, 2009, I, I I graduated from university with a degree in history and political science in 2007. And in 2009, I'm, I'm sitting there complaining to my uncle, I want to do something with this degree, but I don't know what, I can't afford to go to grad school, I don't know. And he's like, he's like, start a blog, just, just, just start somewhere. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to do that. I'm going to start a blog. And so I started a blog. And and after, and so I just I went with the name The Sexy Politico because there was somebody else I knew who had a um, had a book website where they used a where they used a provocative name. And that was just 
it just sounded interesting to me. So I was like, all right, the sexy politico. And at the beginning, it was just me critiquing New York Times articles. And then as time went on, I started finding my own voice. And throughout the eras of the sexy politico, I've had other writers come in and write different things from different points of view. But at the end, at this point in 2023, the sexy politico to me is a place for you to learn information about different about different aspects of politics for me to share my point of view on different things going on in the country because one of the beliefs of the sexy politico is everything is political everything from parenting to the way parenting to a woman's body to just what the dudes are doing in your state capitals or in washington dc and, and also, the sexy politico wants people to realize that you need to pay attention closer to home as opposed to just paying attention to Washington, D.C., because what's going on closer to home usually affects you more than it does than what is happening in D.C. Because as we can see with different abortion legislation, it really it does matter who your state representatives are more than anything right now. And we need to pay attention to those votes. Oh, no, you're definitely right about that since the Supreme Court revert the abortion laws back to the states as more important than ever before. You see, it was unfederalized. And of course, it got reappealed by the overwhelmingly conservative majority. It was, you know, I saw when, when I started seeing 6-3, I said, a lot of some of these bills are going to get repealed. If it's not I'm sure not all of them is going to get, but I'm pretty sure it was either abortion. Well, for me at that time, it was between either the Roe v. Wade or same-sex marriage. Those are two I, that they were talking most about repealing um, with the center right in a right-wing court. But in terms of numbers, it was 6-3. I said, yeah, something is going to be overturned. Um, so, yeah, it's more important than ever. And states like New York and California, Illinois, they doubling down on strengthening abortion access, while states like Oklahoma completely cancels all right abortion so even if you're giving birth to a head or a hand on this graphic think that way well you got to go through it it don't yeah, matter and unless you go to a state that's of course has access that's what some people are going through they're traveling different states to uh get abortion and yeah but then some states are trying to make it illegal to help somebody travel to another state to receive medical procedures which that is where the federal government can come in because the interstate commerce law clause of the constitution basically says you don't get states. You don't get to mess with what happens in between the states. You just, you stick in your own, your own borders. But what I think is more interesting is that we have a court right now that is very traditional in which I think a lot of conservatives out there think that they're just going to overturn everything, but they're actually bringing it back to the states. They're very 10th Amendment focused, which, I mean, some people could say is a good thing. Some people could say is a bad thing. But if you think about the court in that sense, that they're going to take everything back to the states, then that really does tell you as a political analyst where you should be focusing on, which is your state elections oh yeah no definitely you know i'm unfortunately the we both know very well that we pay attention to the presidential election or even the senate and all of that i mean that's yeah, good and all but they're gonna only 
you know, impact laws federally. And you said very well, the state and the local laws have hell of a lot more impact to regular people's lives than the federal. I'm sure the federal does to some to well, to a small degree at best. It supersedes right. your state and local laws. But if the if you have Congress who is sitting on their torsos not getting anything done. I mean, if if we wanted abortion to be legal, we had 50 years-ish that's with, with heck, we had a Democratic supermajority in the early 2000s that we, not the early 2000s, whenever Obama was president, they could have made abortion, they could have made it a law. But no, they're just like, oh, the Supreme Court, we all good. The Supreme Court has overruled itself many a times in history, so you can't pretend like if the Supreme Court does something that it's gonna that's permanent. And I think that and the, the thing I know is talk to various people, both left and the right. They think the Supreme Court and this is I'm trying to be nice to the voters here, but sometimes I could get very harsh easily. It, it demonstrated the ignorance. Okay, Supreme Court does it; it's final. No, there is ways to get around the Supreme Court. I mean, they try to codify, but it failed. And while they had a very a bare majority in twenty, it was a twenty twenty one. Yeah, they had a very they had a bare majority. Um, yeah, with fifty fifty, of course, with the Harris, it makes a Democrat just by that technicality. But you know, if you had people like Joe Manchin, Kirsten Cinema, throwing a wrench into it, sadly, it was effective. Mm-hmm. They were they were they were technically Republican at that situation at that vote. Of course, Mitch McConnell was laughing to her face. So I don't need the majority, the gobbler. These wacko Democrats are doing my bidding. <laughs> yeah. As, as a, I when like to close, When you've got these close House and close Senates, we can't, you can't pretend like you're safe. It doesn't, it's, as we've seen with the, with the speakership race, I, I could see some some weird and wacky votes happening sometime in the near future. Well, there's already Republicans opposing each other on certain laws already. Mm-hmm. Tax code, some say, uh, I don't want Ilhan Omar removed. And there's already some say, no, she needs to be removed. She's technically an advocate for terrorists, you know, or anti anti semi and all, all this other stuff. Um, yeah, there's already some infighting among the Republicans. They only could afford four disagreements not that's not very much mm-hmm. on a 435 seat nope so you they gotta play real careful uh, kevin mccarthy this is the closest house that they've had in like 150 something years it's yeah. it's been hasn't been this close since there was three parties in the house that had like real power yeah i mean yeah i mean kevin mccarthy i say you're gonna become speaker but you're gonna go through hell and back <laughs> so and and he already sac I'm not I'm gonna say sacrifice so much power because in one wacky mega person could say I want him gone. Yeah, gonna happen. If you actually do a little research, that was the way it was before Nancy Pelosi took over. Nancy Pelosi changed Nancy Pelosi was like and her people and they made the house rules that it had to be a majority of one party so they're actually going to a pre-nancy pelosi rule but i mean yeah one one crazy person can just be like i don't like you and we can and what it would just stop everything for a week because nothing's gonna get done yep so the center-right republicans and the maga are gonna continue to have so much fights at least for the next 
two years ish. Unless two years, we, come on, we know with elections, it's going to be <laughs> a year, and then everybody's right. going to go off and start and start campaigning. Unless some sort of national tragedy right. happens. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. So, well, and they get on, well, and have a lot of vacations and all of that, too. So we ought to deduct that as well. So. Oh, my God. The way that <laughs> House and Senate vacations are is not the way the Family Fathers ever, ever saw them. They saw the House and the Senate as a part-time job. They never saw it as something that people would be doing and getting paid a full-time salary for. Although some of these people probably don't think they're $250,000 a year as a full-time salary, but whatever. I'd take that uh, money. Sure, I would too. <laughs> so, I, I, you know, I'm, I'll be a hypocrite. I'll be a liar. Say, oh, no, I won't. No, no, I will definitely take it around the fly. Okay, I might be exaggerating a little bit on that number, but it's something around that. I think the House representative is definitely six figures, probably like 110 ish thousand a year. It's, something like that. They like, were talking right. about AOC, and someone's like, she became a millionaire off her house salary. It's like, no, dude, she did not become a millionaire off her house salary. She would have to be there much longer, at least, to make that possible. Yeah. Only at least to make that possible. Yeah. yeah. It's only been she's only been there since eighteen. Yeah, I ha- I highly doubt that. I mean, she's she's, she's at least middle class. She's still paying taxes. Oh yeah, no, yeah. When the Republicans made they, a big deal about it, get away with not paying taxes on your government salary. Oh, oh no, you could get away with not paying taxes on a lot of things, but not your federal government salary. Oh no, 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 no. You know, off the books, that's a totally different thing. But you yeah, know, right? it's a totally different. Right, off the books and stuff, but no, nah, but definitely not that. I'm pretty sure I can't even fathom that. And then, even if that was possible in an alternative universe, I would have been I, I would have been pissed. Oh, I paid the taxes, but not these people working in government. The hell, I know, right? Yeah, that, that'll be a real reason for me to protest. I'll actually stop being lazy. Actually, protest. Um, and I really do so because. I don't have the time. It's quite frankly, I'm lazy and cynical sometimes. So <laughs> that that's on me. I'm calling myself out on that. Um, so let's see. Yeah, I mean, I mean, we're talking about things I think average people need to know or refresh because they tend to forget some things very, very quickly. I mean, me, I talk to coworkers about politics, but I do it in a way to make it educational and understand where they're coming from. And then I say my point of view. I always go second. I don't go first. I always let the other person speak. So I learn about how they go and I curtail my position. That's my way of actually making a political conversation pretty safe, even in my day job, because I do more as an educational approach instead of saying, oh, vote blue no matter who, or you vote red. Oh, if you vote red, you're dead mindset. <laughs> so no, 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 I, I don't believe in that. And you know, you'd be surprised. Some union workers are Republican, and I found that out while having, you know, they, they told me that it's in secret. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to snitch on them. As a person raised in the streets of New York, uh, that's pretty disrespectful. I, you know, I still carry that old school street mindset, um, and it served me well, and I'm not going to change that. You know, they told me, oh, they're Republicans on the low, like closeted Republicans. They feel shame, you know. It, I mean, even. I hate to use this comparison, but it brings my point back home. A person who's gay is more comfortable living their life than a Republican in New York City. So to some degree. I think part of it is that what political people need to do is to almost go back to 
high school and middle school and literally teach some people how a bill becomes a law. Because when you hear when you hear people complaining about X, Y, and Z happening, they're like, oh, Biden did this and Biden did that. It's like, Biden didn't do anything. It's not Biden's job to do that. Biden can't make a law. Biden cannot, Biden cannot write his name on a bill and say, please pass this, sir. No, he, I mean, he probably, I'm sure, you know, whispers, hey, 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 Nancy, can you, uh, can you put this bill in on, you know, on the download, but he can't do it himself. And I think people forget that if your congressperson isn't making laws that nothing's going to get on the desk of the president. And you literally, you literally, the this is a bill on Capitol Hill needs to be reminded. People need to be reminded of that all the time. And then they also need to be reminded of the fact that that exact same process, minus a few states, is how laws are passed in their state. Now, there are some states with some wacky election laws, but say like 48 out of 50 states, it's basically the same thing. Yeah, no, the people, uh, yeah, the people gotta be re-educated because, yeah, no, I agree with that because some of us are, uh, no, you cannot blame Biden for local and state taxes. He has zero, zero affiliation. Yeah. yeah, I don't blame you for not liking the guy, but you gotta be logical. Oh, yeah. These roads are so shit. It's Biden's fault. No, it's not. This is the city. This ain't even governor's fault. This is your mayor's fault. Now, if you're talking about the highway, then you can blame the governor. If you're talking about the interstate, then you can blame Congress for not writing a bill to get on the president's desk. Because he can't magically make people vote. Well, I'm sure he would love that magic wand. Oh, oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I like that little example you put because uh, he could have a conversation or influence Congress to pass the kind of law he wants, but he can't create it himself. He can't write it. He can't put his can't put his yeah, name on think. anything i mean i, I mean the, the 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 house and sent well both of them have to of course got past those two chambers and then it gets so he's really just the executive approval <laughs> yeah, that's all you can just okay this yeah. law is getting passed okay well i got created a uh, pseudo earthquake on my screen but boom hey oh no yes the earthquake is when they veto Oh yeah, that's when it gets interesting. That's the that's the more interesting part is when they hit the veto button. Yep, any two thirds of both chambers override it. <coughs> Which man, that that veto. is not happening with this current makeup. Mm-mm, nope. <laughs> Biden vetoes anything. It's vetoed. Yeah, so the veto sticks in this current makeup of Congress. At 51 percentage. Nah, that's yeah. way below sixty six. What are we gonna have? We're going to have Congress actually work together to help the American people. What? That's the way it feels like. Yeah. No. Cause there's, there are certain, there are certain topics that I, that nobody deals with, that nobody talks about that. If you take two and a half seconds, those laws would get passed because everybody agrees with them. Such as maternity leave. I'm for it. Maternity leave. Nobody on the right or the left would argue against maternity leave because quite frankly you got the left who's like well we should be supporting it all women you got the right who are like we want more people having babies so we 
maternity leave. I have no argument here. As a proud independent, I would support it in a heartbeat. That's just one of the brain dead easy. I don't have to think about the nuances all that. Boom. You got my vote. And it's like paternity leave, there would be some arguments on both sides. I, as a person with two children, better believe I believe that paternity leave is extremely important. I mean, my husband literally literally was taking meetings while I was in the hospital recovering from my C-section because he he did not qualify for FMLA and he don't work, he don't get paid. And I think that's absolutely ridiculous. I think that a man should have a right to bond with his child. You know, I I agree with that. And I'm surprised this, there's at least not even talk for the Republican that's supposed to be for the party of the family, traditional family at least. They're not even pushing for, well, they should be, yeah, family leave um, if they're going to name it. And maternity know. leave in this country on the federal level is unpaid. So most most women cannot afford to take the full 12 weeks that they are given. And also, you are only given FMLA leave if your company has more than 50 people working there. So if you work for a small business, you don't qualify for FMLA. You don't. And you just have to pray that your employer will keep you on. That's the reason my husband didn't qualify for FMLA. It's because he did the company he works at does not have 50 people that work within a 50 mile radius of where he worked. Shameful. And that, you know, that'll be something that both parts will really come to agree. I mean, they got iron the details in now. That. That'll be a good, healthy debate. But I don't know. But the way these two parties are. It'd be a miracle to have a conversation and iron out those details for family leave. That's what I'm going to call it for some Yeah, that's, a, that's what paternity call it, family yeah, leave. Family leave, yeah. And I, I think it should have been law. It should be paid for. Yeah, it should be. It should be paid. I was to say pretty liberally. I mean, I'll be I even. Mean, I have a liberal position on the pay for those. As as as. 12 weeks or even more the person who gives birth i had a i had two c-sections with both of my kids and with my with my older son i mean i was i was more able to walk around quicker maybe because i was younger although to be fair i was 32 i wasn't that young giving birth to my first child but when i had my second kid in uh, i i i needed help getting up every single time for about six weeks just to get out of bed or to get out of a chair and thank goodness my sister was able to help but we would have been screwed if i didn't have a sister who was able to help yeah and also the family network that you brought up some of them are shit yeah it's a good thing not everybody has family that can help we can't pretend we have to stop pretending like there's this fam that there's the village if you have a village use your village but if you but not everybody has a village um especially in new york city <laughs> the village culture especially in the, for the big, well, like the big idea city is that there are people there to help you that your your family your friends not everybody has that no and we no, have dude. to stop pretending like people have it no, no that's i think that concept at best is the, assumption right yeah no i mean I, no, I agree. Um, I mean, shoot me. I don't. I don't. I don't really have a village. It's good they have a couple of family members and friends, but would I call that a village? 
I don't I, I, I don't I mean, know. They're not as reliable. You, it's like if you if your appendix burst mm. tomorrow, would you have somebody who could take care of you like like that? My simple answer is no. Yeah. <laughs> so. I went into labor three weeks early with my second child. And the closest person we had who could watch my older kid, because you know, COVID restrictions are still were still a thing was an hour and a half away. And I had to labor at home for an hour and a half before she arrived to take care of to take care of my son. And thank goodness, though, she was able to come. Thank goodness. Because at least then my husband was able to be there with me and I didn't have to go through surgery by myself. I mean, people need to the, do those more. Those were the choices. Around. Yeah, that, that's... And that's scary. What, you know, I, I don't like to play this what if alternative universe... What if she couldn't do that? Yeah, it is possible. And what would have happened is my husband would have, everybody would have gotten packed in the car. My husband basically would have dropped me off at the hospital and he would have, he would have had to go home with our, with our other child. That's what would, we had, we had to have that discussion. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, no, I'm sure. I mean, because my yeah. son, my four, at the time, three year old was not allowed to visit me either. So he couldn't even come like the next day. He didn't get to meet his baby brother until I was discharged. Oh yeah, no, I remember. I think you still live in uh, I think what Michigan, right? Maryland. When oh, Maryland. Oh, oh, okay, Maryland. Yeah, I was in yeah. Maryland at that point, and I mean. Oh yeah, they had. I'm pretty sure they had restrictions. Well, yeah, the, yeah. Maryland had a Republican governor, man. But the restrictions. So the restrictions there were based off of how how high the COVID levels were at the time. And think if the COVID levels were any higher, my husband wouldn't have been able to leave and come back. But luckily he could leave and come back. And he had to go to work. That just there's a there's a lot of things I could complain about with when it comes to FMLA and leave and things of that nature. But at the end of the day, I got two healthy boys, but I think that there needs to be a change when it comes to thinking about leave leave time when it comes to parenting yeah i mean i'm not i'm personally not there yet but i will have to wholeheartedly uh agree that i'm a very involved uncle i could see that even happen at a at a help take care of my nieces and nephews a couple of times and was was it um easy for me but no but i understood the situation i gotta get beyond the self but that me i could complain about how people are more self-absorbed these days Especially thanks to social media, but that's my that's a separate rant. I had to get beyond myself and, and help out the family. And since me, I'm a very involved uncle. I don't mind acting like a part-time parent at best. <laughs> that's why I call myself a part-time parent. Yeah, but that's that's what being an uncle or an aunt is, is being yeah. a part-time is part-time. And that's what's that's what's great about being an aunt or an uncle. It's like you can take care of that kid, you can feed them cookies and candy and hand them off to mommy and daddy. I mean that's yeah, it. be the conco bad parent. <laughs> exactly though. I mean, that's every so often I send my send the boys over to my to my parents' house or my sister, and you know, it's like they get too much screen time and candy, and I get to have a date with my husband. But that's what that's what having family is for. That's why we moved to Michigan was so that I could be close to my family. And yeah, no, understandably so. And and me, I'm planning to. Well, I'm planning to move out of this crazy city. I can't. I can't take it anymore. Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about you going to either between Florida or 
the very obscure West Virginia. I call, I still call it a very obscure state. I mean, I like it. It's simple. I mean, I could find get a full sleep. It's actually, I forgot what it's like to get a full blown sleep, having no noise. It's like, oh my goodness. Yes. Yeah. I'm maturing as a man. <laughs> so I can't deal we with had, the beep beep. So we, had the, some, we lived in, in our early marriage when my, when my older son was born, we lived in the state of Virginia, but the Western part of the state of Virginia. And my husband is ethnically Chinese and we had, and he had some racism issues and, you know, and that was one of the big reasons we moved from there. Like it's a beautiful area, it's a gorgeous area, but I did not, we, we both very much agreed that we didn't want our sons growing up in a place where people would say racist things to them on the regular and think that it was normal. That was a that was just very that was a strong line that we that we took there. Yeah, no, I, I don't think people should just live just to put up with this because it's beautiful. I'm I mean, literally, yeah. literally, seven months pregnant, right? My husband goes to get goes to get the car because you know you don't make a seven month pregnant lady waddle to the car. He's doing the right thing. This woman comes up to me and says, "Why are you having a baby with one of them?" It took every ounce of me looking at that statue of the Virgin Mary to not slap that woman. Every ounce oh. of... There's like the statue of the Virgin Mary looking at me What when she said that. And I'm like, because I love him. And thank, thank goodness my husband showed up right with me. There's my ride. I'm going to go. Yikes. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, I just raised my point by the point of racism. Like, I believe it exists, but we still... But we need to talk about it in nuance of that and don't mislabel it because this is why I, this is why I attack the wokesters particularly. To you, everything is racist. Oh, this is gonna say hate you. Oh, it's racist. Oh, it's gonna say disagree with you. It's racist. No, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. I believe this there is remnants, subtle racism that exists in this country, no doubt about it. Well, that was that one of them. I think that's a little more open. I mean, yeah, I, when people are literally saying ching ching chong to my husband behind his ear while he's what while he's at work, that's pretty clear. Yep, you're not misconstruing, you're not crazy, you're not being yep. those whack deranged wokesters that just finds imaginative race. No, that, 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 that's real. That, that's yeah. a real one. Yeah, it's coming from independent. That, yeah, that's real. And we, real. we just like we, we're, we're we don't want to raise our boys in a place where that happens to my husband. Well, at that time, it was just the one kid, but you know. Yeah, I mean, yep. No, I mean, you still fit the principles and all of that, and I mean, obviously, they're very backward people, very close-minded, stupid kind of people. But if I'm sure they they would have done that, in which I'm pretty, I'm sure they'd be smart enough not to do that. If they would have done that in New York City, especially with slapping them all that. <laughs> I wanted to, man. I wanted to. I I literally uh, I literally see the statue. We're Catholic, and it's like mm. I literally see the statue of the Virgin mm. Mary, and I'm like, okay, <laughs> okay, you're telling me to, you're telling me something that's slappable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's I mean, oh no, that that's terrible. That's completely terrible. I mean, I I, I have I have Latin in my DNA. I mean, I, I would have felt that. I mean, if you would have just played. I mean, me. I. I mean, personally, I don't. I don't take it as such. I mean, I, I dealt racism in Staten Island because that's like that odd borough that only okay. Republican borough. I said, "Oh, who are they?" 
And the reason why that made it obvious is because everyone had your skin color or slightly darker. And we were the only ones with some mild melanin. melanin and my father was the only rich melanin person there. He was he was only dark skin. My yeah, my, well, my mother's light skin. Yeah, we dealt with that. So, oh, uh, who are they? I said, uh, excuse me. Yeah, me who am? Yeah, it's, it's using. It's just like he had a disgust like, and I saw the obvious picture. I mean, this is me, twelve years old, first encountering it. First, <laughs> I said, oh, you know, but prior to twelve, I wouldn't think racism exists until that moment actually happened and i was like okay okay now i get what people are saying this is what racism is all about okay we're the only ones that had some skin but better skin than them (laughs) so but you know i mean i i mean i could i could fight fire with fire when i my husband my husband's family immigrated to jamaica in the 1800s and so when we visit my in-laws they're in jamaica and i'm like and i'm the only one that turns into a lobster I burn like bacon when we go there, so it's like whatever. I uh, know. I mean, my, I, I mean, my father just had he freaking cursed them out. I said, I don't know. The reason why you are cool with me is because I bust my ass for you. Other than that, we wouldn't be talking. And then ever since then, we never encountered that again. And I already put two and two together. Twelve years old. And and to be honest, I'm not bashing Santa as a borrow, but. Those group of people in there, not just they were racist, they were just incredibly low IQ based on everything that came back. I, I went for being offended for just feeling sorry for them. I said, wow, this is how you think? I said, wow, I really feel sorry for you people. And I even use you you people. I mean, I was picking up, that's why I get for watching corrupted stuff at age nine, picking up that kind of language, but that's besides the point. I was like, oh, wow. And all of them were like Italian descent, most of them. I just said, oh, so yeah, I feel Wait, sorry for I you. Think- I think that sometimes the discussion of racism gets a little bit muddled when you have white people trying to tell other people what ra- what is racist because that's just that's bonkers. I I have I mean the only time I've ever felt a little weird being the only white person in the room was when I lived in China. I lived in China and was and they called me the white cat teacher because I have hairy arms. I have hairy arms. I'm Polish of Polish descent. I have hairy arms and I don't shave my arms. Like, but it's like I it wasn't it wasn't racist either. It was a bunch of five year old kids who are like, oh, she's the white cat teacher. And the in the and I asked my my coworker who you know the Chinese coworker who works with us who translate and she's like, yeah, they're calling you the white cat teacher. I'm like, cat. She's like, yeah, your hairy arms. And they, like the kids came up and were petting my arms like I'm like, I found that more uncomfortable, the them petting me like a cat. Not and just it was racist, they would devalue almost like an animal level. So, like oh yeah. And then and then my hair in it, like when when there's a lot of humidity, my hair will turn big. And they're like, Oh, she's not a cat, she's a lion. My hair will get big when there's a lot of humidity. And I lived in the part of China that there was a lot of there was, you know, there was tsunami not tsunami um maybe tsunami they'd get like lots of rains and flooding and things like that and so my hair would go natural curls uh, uh yeah even even i would obviously call that um racist i try to treat it as holistic as possible but we so culturally conditioned to say if a white person's talking about it it's instantly bad or weird at best 
I, I just think that I, I think it is but I've had instances on like the sexy politico where something happens and I'm like and I've I've talked to other people to write about it because I'm like mm, I don't think my point of view is what's important in this instance. I think that a person a person in that community or a person of color's opinion is much more important than just like when the when the pulse shooting happened in 16 i'm like i i have a couple of writers who every so often write for the sex political who are gay and they're out and they're openly gay and i'm like do you have time to write about this because it's like all all i would feel comfortable doing is writing an article and being like these are the facts but if you have feelings and opinions on something i would rather hear your feelings and opinions than my my opinion of the need for gun control which if you read my if you read my website you know i have i have strong opinions on gun control and that's but it's a it's also it's the sexy politico i've had that website since you know i have opinions on gun control after living through a school shooting you don't need me to write another article about that no, and those are the ones I would value. I mean, me, I mean, me, what I'm trying to do this podcast is trying to bridge the rational left, right, and center people. I mean, I was eventually going to mesh that in with different political spectrums. I mean, me, I'm very, I'm, I'm a purple vote. I mean, my logo is even purple. If you hack into my records, I have a very purple record. Certain, certain issues I'm going to side with Republicans, certain issues I'm going to side with. Democrats and there's certain times I'm gonna bash both sides of the aisle, and then there's certain times I'm gonna praise bipartisanship. That's yeah, I go issue I'm by always, issue. I'm honestly always gonna praise bipartisanship in this day and age. If you can get a bipartisan vote on anything, I will praise that to high heaven. I mean, I would like to praise it, but if, if I think the law is just terrible, regardless, and then and I'm just I'm, I mean, I'm just very, there's now. very few bipartisan laws that are really that bad. And then, yeah, that that's true. I forget, I forget there was one that was really, I said, I didn't even care it was bipartisan. This law should just be obliterated. It should never exist. But it was like, ah, you know, I'm just, I was a guy yelling the mic, you know, it's going to pass through. Does you know, kind of doesn't matter. If so, she's a bipartisanship is going to steam through the president's desk pretty smoothly. Just a couple of votes. Okay. 60% of the house likes it. The other 60% of the Senate likes it. It's going to go through. It's going to go through. Um, and I say, well, if you don't like these kind of laws, especially these people that support it, you get your, you, you, you vote that election and you get these people out. Yeah. But that, and that's the thing we have is that luckily with the internet in this day, in this day and age, our representatives cannot lie and say, Oh, I supported this. I supported this. no, I can go right on house.gov and or senate.gov or whatever your state's rep paper website is and be like, oh, you voted for this and you voted for that and you did and you voted present here. Really? You voted present here? You didn't have the you didn't have the goal to make a vote? I think it should abolish uh present as a choice. <laughs> that's just me. I that's I they they no, I'm I hate I hate that. I I don't like that option. Even abstain, any of that? No, no, just go. Just yes don't or no. go to work that day. You don't say you're sick. Vote. Call in. The dog sick. bit your leg. If you're if you're too chicken to vote, then just don't be there. Yeah, you could have said, you know, a lot of things. Oh, I broke my leg or something. I don't know. Just come up with any pathetic excuse. I'll find a more. Yeah. I'm. 
I was at urgent care because I broke my pinky. <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean something even as stupid as that. Also, okay, that's fine. At least you didn't participate. <coughs> You're co- I, you, I also call you a cop out, but at least you didn't vote present. That just ticks me off. Yeah, I and back to that Kevin McCarthy insanity. Or, um, I think Matt Gates they were just doing present. I said, voting oh God. present for Trump's uh, Trump's uh, impeachment. It's like, girl, really, really. Just if if you don't agree with it, then don't agree with it. It's not like he was gonna just don't vote present. Just show show that you have some gumption. Not gumption. That's not the right word. Show that you have stones. <laughs> yeah, backbone or something. Backbone. I don't there we go. That's a that's a way less sexist way of putting it. Yeah, backbone. I don't want to. Yeah, I mean, I sometimes have a habit of even saying go on this at times. Or or if we'll be inclusive, or I don't I don't know. This is gonna sound this is gonna fake woman. I don't know vagina steel. I don't know. It's weird. Show your clit. I don't know. Yeah, some yeah, backbone. Yeah, we stick to backbone backbone works. Backbone works, yeah. I mean you said cojones or cha cha. Yeah, but but still have some but it's we just we live in this day and age where people aren't fully educated, but they think they are because of social media and then you've got and then you've got representatives it and it feels like at least on the federal level the republican party doesn't want to actually do anything they just want to make everybody upset and that in of itself is bad for the american people because when you have a good debate on something a healthy debate on something you get usually you get something better than what either side could have could have imagined. Or at the very least, you get something. Something. And then you've got people who don't actually even take educate people who are educated on the topics, knowledge in mind when talking about different issues. And I have a problem with that. We there's all this fake news, false news, all this sort of stuff. I I wish that I wish that rather than believing in the 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 knowledge of Facebook that we believed in the knowledge of educated people who wrote books on the topic and are and are willing to sit at a roundtable discussion with multiple people in the same field who might have differing opinions on something because that's science. Not all scientists agree on the same issue, but at least they're all educated in the topic. I am not a climate scientist. I mean, right. I'm not a epidemiologist. Me yeah. saying I I think climate change is real is is means absolutely nothing. I am not educated in the subject. But if five different climate change scientists or five different scientists who have studied the climate get into a room and are having a roundtable discussion, I will listen to those men or women and discuss that wholeheartedly yeah no i believe expert opinions should be included way more often taken more seriously besides the song political that let me use myself for example you know i'm i mean even the COVID issue deeply divided the scientific community there are those there was those that was skeptical of the vaccine there was those i was pro vaccine to the core and you know i just think a debate between those people should have um half happened says so just them talking among their cliques and just promoting just their side say oh yeah this vaccine is gonna kill you in five years because this creates cancer and they want us oh no the vaccine is gonna cure you uh no vaccine cures anybody that's the first thing 
It's like people keep talking about the vaccines as a cure. Vaccines have never been a cure. Vaccines, they're, they're, they're not cures. They're ways to help prevent or mitigate an illness. I think that has always been the biggest issue when it comes to the vaccine is that people think it's a cure. People oh, still I, get yeah. measles after getting three mm three or five MMR shots. I can't remember how many MMR shots my kids are going to end up getting, but people still get the measles. They just don't die from it. ACB, even though I'm not, um, I mean, I've, I've researched the issue, but I'm still not an expert on it. I said, look, if I'm going by precedent, and that's how I was studying this, I said, you're still have a good chance of getting COVID. The only difference is it's not going to be as severe as deadly. You use the best word, mitigate less of the severity of the deadliness of the virus. I mean, is it, is it, is it the, to be the best solution? Uh, probably not, but that's what we have. And then, you know, I just say, look, it's up to you. It's, I, I'm not a doctor. Consult with your doctor. Consult with a medical expert. I even push that. I'm just giving the, my opinion. The way that. That I, I, I see it, and this is purely from my personal experience in August my family got COVID, all four of us. My husband had four shots. I had three shots. We just, we just, you know, felt funky. My, my older son had one shot. He, he was, he acted like he had the flu. My baby, on the other hand, had to be live flighted to a bigger hospital and nearly died from COVID because he stopped breathing. I am so pro-vaccine. It's not even funny. There's, he nearly died from COVID. So, yeah, my. my I mean, I totally. I mean, I totally vaccinated it. for for yeah. COVID up to the point that kids can be yeah. vaccinated for it. I mean, I don't blame you for being pro-vaccine because I'm sure if he was anti-vax, like a far-right anti-vax, that kid would have most likely died. Almost guaranteed. Luckily, so. my, I mean, he had all of his other shots, but I had, I had delayed the whole COVID thing because, I mean, it made me a little nervous. And also, we had all this other stuff. We had all this other stuff going on. We were moving. We were just, you know, we were living our lives. And it was like, oh, this, no, he nearly died. So, and it was, it was like, after my, after he got out of the hospital, then the only thing I had to deal with was my four-year-old complaining why he couldn't go to preschool the first week that everybody else got to. That was because there's a, there's a 10-day there's a 10-day rule at his school where if you have a positive COVID test that you can't go to school for 10 days. And he's in preschool. It's not like it's not like he's legally required to be there. Right. I'm but hell, it. if I didn't have to if I couldn't stay at home that that would have been horrible. I I mean, me personally I had the very, I had the I'll see the original strain of that. It was very weird for me and it was not it, it was it was weird. It wasn't my worst experience with sickness. It was very weird. I couldn't smell. I couldn't taste yeah, I didn't anything. Have for two weeks. Any of that. Neither of us. Neither of us lost. Like me and my husband. Neither of us lost our sense of smell. Neither of us lost our sense of taste. It was more. I literally, literally, I started feeling funky, and then we were driving, and I, and I had my husband had to stop the car, and I got sick. Like I threw up on the side of the road and my husband thought I had the flu. He, he seriously thought I had the flu. And then my older son started getting sick and I'm like, all right, let's, 
test for COVID again. Because we tested for COVID as soon as I started feeling sick, just in case. I mean, we got all these free tests. Why not? It's like, then test again. It's like, oh, I have COVID. He probably has COVID. He probably has COVID. My husband was the last one to get it. I mean, me and the issue with, with COVID, I, I mean, I disagree with both the right and the left. I just say go by your medical history. Go by your circumstances. If you believe vaccine is good for you, go for it. Go for it. I'm not an anti-vax kind of person. I've took vaccines for especially the parents that forced me to do it, especially as a kid. Yeah, I had no say that. Oh, I don't want the vaccine. Oh, no, you're going to get it. That was required for schools even way back then. So I was going to get it no matter what. Mm. It doesn't matter about wine, throw tantrum, any of that. That didn't matter. That was just theater. <laughs> I was good. Yeah. You get yeah. jabbed. You're getting the jab. And that's always been that way. Um, you know, me out to be honest, I was more I was a skeptic. But I was I was a rational skeptic, you know. And that, that was a position that, that I have because I had weird experiences with it. And I you know, I just say in places that should be strict with that should require vaccines, there's places like hospitals or wherever there's a good chunk of a vulnerable population, like elders, babies. I put babies there on um, anyone with terpocloxis or, or any other medical condition that um, greatly increases the deadliness of the, of the virus. I mean, me, I, I've never when been an anti-vaxxer. Man, when it comes to babies, though, there are so many people who think that, who, who don't realize that their grown-up immune systems can still get babies deadly sick. You know what is the weird thing that nobody thinks about that can actually kill a baby? Cold sores. You know those aunties that will kiss babies? They have a cold sore. Don't realize it. You know, like like the pre-cold, you know, like when you feel the itchiness of a cold sore, but it isn't there yet. If you give that baby that herpes virus, it can kill them. And that and yet the mommies who are like, don't kiss my kid if you even think you're sick, or don't kiss my kid before they get their two-month shots. We're the bad guys. But literally babies die from no. Babies die from herpes. Y'all be labeled as the irrational bitches for that. Yeah, we're we're the irrational ones, but babies die from herpes. But we're irrational. I mean, I'm gonna use me personally as the safest, the safest option. If I was to say don't kiss the baby, I'm gonna listen. There's a reason why. Wash your hands. Yeah, wash your. Oh, I always been saying that. Wash your hands. Maintain hygiene. This is coming from a man here. You know, this is not a feminine thing. This is supposed to be a health thing. It's wash. I mean. I can get my four-year-old to wash his hands and sing happy birthday twice while he does it. Mm. You can wash your hands, too. Yeah. You can get a four-year-old little boy who thinks that running around in circles is fun. Mm. You can wash your hands, too. Oh, yeah, I've been pushing this. Look, the home health aides and nurses, they were ahead of us on this. was constant hand washing. We need to start implementing We need to start implementing that in our personal lives because like, we carry so much. There's not enough. No, it's not. Soap is... There's actually a video where Bill Nye, the science guy, shows the difference between just using hand sanitizer and washing your hands. And it's that the action of the soap and the water removing the removing the virus off your hands as opposed to surrounding it with like surrounding it in a bubble. It's like he's like, this is fine for right for real quick if you have nothing else to do. But if you can wash your hands with soap and water Wash your hands. Yeah, well, I always, well, I'm I'm on the right side of this one, even as a teenager. I always did the wash hands. I always felt like it was more thorough, anyways. You know, just putting like a liquid or something in there. It always felt 
cheapen that, you know, that, you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's good. We have no other option, but if you have a better option, wash your hands. No, I mean, we keep hand sanitizer in the baby bag because there are some, there are some places that it's just like there, there's no, a lot of hand sanitizer for us is like, you see like those, you see those baby changing stations that just look gross and sanitize that. That needs to be drowned. <laughs> or, or, you know, after, after playing on playground equipment, you see like the kid over there with like snot bubbles. It's like, I'm going to cover you in hand sanitizer till we get home. I mean, yeah, it's only good for a quick last resort kind of thing. And so yeah, that's so that's like, it. Yeah. Cover your hand sanitizer, then we're yeah. going to the bath. Yep. I mean, that should just be a standard practice. That I've been pushing for. I said, I hope they keep this as a standard practice. Free hand sanitizers for public areas or even hand soap and I, clean, I, I, clean I wish, cleanliness in public transportation. I even Honestly, I wish that the idea of being sick and wearing a mask in public, if you know that you're sick, I wish that became a part of the American culture, like it is in Asia. Like if you have a cold, just wear a mask when you go to Walgreens to get your medicine. I I think that that sh I wish that had become more a part of our culture. In some places, it's a. I mean, I could confidently say for New York City, that's already becoming a thing with some people. I mean, to some extent, it, it's there. How long is going to last? Who uh, knows? But I just I I wish. Like when I was living in Asia, like if you had a cold, you would just put a mask on and you would keep it on. And you had your outside mask and your inside mask. Because also, though, they had masks for pollution. Oh, yeah. They were decades ahead of us when it comes to masking. Well, yeah. 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 But yeah. yeah. Hey, so you while I was to argue with them about wearing a mask during COVID. It's like they already had them in like 17 colors mm -hmm. and, and leopard print. I mean, yeah, you know, there's there's nice masks out there now. There's all kinds of lovely designs. You know, you can make it fashionable, whatever. You know, that's, yeah, I, you know, fashionable ones though don't always work. No, no, they don't. But hey, if you want to style it, you know, you you know, I, your, I mean, I mean, the K ninety fives and ninety fives on with yeah. your with your Louis Vuitton bag and your <laughs> and your Jimmy Choo shoes. There you yeah. go. I mean, the more effective mask, I think, would be the K and the N95s, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Those are the more effective ones. If I want to be serious about the topic. Um, listen, I'm more about, I'm I'm like pretty lazy fit, which that's uh, risky in, in itself. But if, like, if you want to you want to wear the mask, so you want, I ain't going to tell, I ain't tell whatever. But if it's irrational for me to wear the mask, I don't, don't tell me to wear the, don't tell me, although, to wear the mask if it's irrational. That that part I will happily feel. I, I don't like when people give you crap when you are wearing it. Like yeah, I don't I support have, that either. I have a cult. I was wearing a mask in Walgreens because I don't want to share my shit. Go in the store buying some buying some day quill. And someone's like, you know, you don't have to wear a mask anymore. And I'm like, I know I don't have to, but I don't want to share this with you. It's like hey I can sarcastic say hey sharing this camera. You want the cult too? Yeah it's <laughs> you want my cult? Yeah. Caught it from my four-year-old. I'm pretty sure. I mean, because preschool's a petri dish. Yeah, no, I look. Yeah, I don't think shaming anyone for wearing a mask is not a good idea. There's always a story behind it, and I believe the person's using their best judgment based on what they know. Yeah, I mean, you that, don't know I mean, if that person has some has somebody who's immunocompromised. I mean, my yeah. I have there's there's someone in my family who has cancer. You go to her house. You are wearing a mask. Yeah, I mean, I, I respect it. She has cancer. It's like, 
Yeah. You wear a mask. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I have brothers who lean on the right side. Oh, how dare she tell me that? Oh, she kicked me out because I'm not going to wear the mask. I don't need to wear a mask. I think the mask is progressive. Come on. She's 85 years old. She already has like stage one cancer and she's pretty immune compromised. I mean, I would wear the mask. Do I like it personally? No, but it's, you know, I got to go beyond me and you know i think that's a problem with american culture it's a me 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 culture mm-hmm. mindset instead of looking out for the for the collective and, and that's why we have a problem adopting this mass thing as quickly yep. as we should because because it makes me uncomfortable the people who are saying that like the mask make it difficult to breathe and i'm just sitting there going talk to talk to healthcare professionals who have to wear masks all day anywhere before the pandemic hit i mean I know surgery. I've I know people who've had surgeries that are six, seven, eight, nine hours long. It's like, yeah, that doctor was wearing a mask the whole time. They weren't taking a break. Oh yeah, and those surgeries, you know, they're very, very difficult. You have to be precise and all yeah. that. They take a very, very long time. I mean, I'm not. I'm no, not. But it's doctor, but the but... people saying that that wearing a mask is detrimental to your health it's like oh yeah ask any surgeon how detrimental to their health that wearing a mask is they wear a mask for your health and so i said oh but they got the better mask they don't got this cheap thing i've, I've heard this argument before yeah. <laughs> so yeah i find it harder to breathe in the k95 masks because they're they're so they're they're so well formed to your face so insulating and things like that but it's like are you yeah. sometimes it's just sometimes you have to put your mental health first rather than argue with people. I agree. I, I personally, I, I always choose to avoid the argument with the stupid. Or else you become, it becomes stupid in a couple of minutes. Yeah, people's like, I told difference. Okay, who's the rational one here? Oh yeah, they, no, they both crazy. Yeah, <laughs> so. that's why I'm off Facebook. Is because I honestly, I, I, I choose to believe. That the way a person talks to me in person is how they actually are rather than what they do online. I mean, well, that one I would have to, to me, I have to respectfully. Um, I would like, to, I would like to believe that. Right. I mean, I know it's not yeah. always true, but I would like to believe that mm. if a person is nice to me in person and has a butthole yeah. online, it's like, yeah. they, please let me just believe, let me live in La La Land that you're a nice person. <laughs> I mean, no, I, I get it. I get it. It's just, you know, some people, they're nice online. They're a butthole person and vice versa. I've dealt with two sides of that. And they, they're assholes online, but they're nice in person. To me, they both are inconsistent. And I have an issue with both of them, regardless, because you're, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. Humans are complicated. I, I get it. But you have two different personas. Which one is the more... You know, you. I think there's a psychological there was a psychological study like that there's an actual term for those people who are completely different online as opposed to in real life. Like there's an actual term for this. And I just this is where social media is, is problematic is because even though you have to put your real name on your Facebook that people still pretend like it's like back in the day where you're you could use instant messenger and use your and have like a chat name of like you know i'm trying to remember baby girl doll 7642 and pretend like that you know pretend like you're somebody else and it's like yeah but no that's big daddy pimp 69 or something like that yeah 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 remember those days where people had like weird i did 
tell my brother when he was going into high school that he needed to change his email address because when applying for scholarships, he didn't want to have an email, which was cheat to win. Yeah, that's not going to go very well. I'm like, I mean, I'm like, you need to, you need to change your email address to your name. I mean, I, I eventually adopt that. I mean, I used to just fight. So no, I've just got a nice one. Illusion with the E. You know, my name starts with the E. Just put right there. My middle name right there. I, I've used it as a screen name since I was a teenager. I always liked it, that screen name the most. And I'm just ca- I'm carrying it on with me. At least it's not, you know, Big Dig Hard Man 69 or, you know, oh, or something like on. that. Oh. I'm sure everybody met that guy on MySpace. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I meant oh, I meant psychopaths. I mean, oh, real open psychopaths, and I almost became one of them. I mean, that, that's what happens. That's why teenagers, I believe, should be restrict. They should restrict <laughs> social media access. I mean, if I mean, I I almost became like mentally ill psychopath because I was exposed to so much of this, and I thought it was even cool to be a edge lord. I was even living, I was even living that out until Did I you realized. Have a fedora? Huh? Did you have a fedora? Um, oh no, no doubt. Oh, yeah, one of them had my, my fake fedora hat. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Yeah, you were that no, guy. Oh, that was one of my many personas, and I had the one with the eye was literally scooped out with blood and everything. I mean, I, I was kind of, yeah, I, yeah, I was, I was really out there. I said, uh, yeah, I think I'm growing up. By the time I hit 18, I realized a lot of that had to be changed. <laughs> I had to go complete 180 on my persona. So, yeah, maybe the edge source should only come out when it's really, really needed. I have it all the time. I have it 24-7. Oh, <laughs> I mean, no, I went- please. I, I've got the stories of bad dates from from people that I've met on MySpace who turned out to be different people. Like, oh, oh, look, here's a nice guy. He's a farmer. Oh, yeah, he'll be a nice guy. 35. Like, and I, at that point, I was 22, 23, and he's 35. And I'm like, Ugh. This is before, you know, before you had, like, everybody had a cell phone. I'm like, do I do? What do I do? I mean, I had people send me death threats. I even trolled the, trolled the shit out of them. I mean, you know, you know those were those my space. That was the internet wild, wild west. And a lot of assets. And, I mean, my older, my older brother was an expert of the internet, um, especially at that time. I mean, he, he, I mean, we have dealt with craziness because we decided to flirt with that internet danger. Me, me, I was 15, acting like I was 21 years old. So I had big vocabulary. I was able to elaborate really well. I was able to sound like a very sophisticated nerd when I needed to. I learned such big words. I used to read the thesaurus. That's how much of a geek I was. <laughs> just to learn oh. new words and sound all that. I said, oh, this day was all, it was, uh, the vicinity was quite nice, quite amendable. Indeed, they thought I was older, but I was really like freaking 15. And by the time the girl, the, the girl found out, I said, why are you trying to set me up to rape you? <laughs> she was 20, she was like 22 or something. It's like, oh my God. I said, uh, I said, oh no, but I know, you know, of course we yeah, try to no, act all I said, no, no, she, she, she obviously walked, she freaking walked off. Well, yeah, said, oh, damn it, you, yeah. you're not looking to, you're not looking to get charged with anything. Oh yes. No, especially her. Yeah. So she, no, I mean, like, yeah. I, I literally sit down yeah. and I look at this guy and I'm like, you are not 25. You got too many. You got those, you got those going. You know, those nice little those crow's are defining feet. features. You have crow feet. <laughs> you got crow's feet. And I'm like, and I'm like, all right, well, he's got the farmer's tan. Sure. I believe that you're a farmer. And he's like, yeah, no, he, 
he's like, I just, he's like, I want to pretend like I'm in college. And I'm like, I'm not even in college anymore. <laughs> oh, man. Those were the times back then. This is like the early two, it's like the early 2000 ish time period. I mean, it, it was interesting, but it was very, very dangerous for sure. Oh, God. Oh, God, man. It, I mean, it might sound bad to say it, but it makes me glad I don't have daughters. Oh. Oh yeah, I'm sure some random radical feminist. Ah, she's sexist. Oh, no, I'm serious though. But it's like, yeah, yeah it, I'm. I don't have. I, I don't. I'm not gonna have to deal with that bullshit. I'm. My job is to teach my sons how to be good men, but I'm not gonna have to teach my sons to be afraid. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure. I mean, like I said, I'm an evolved uncle. I'm, I already know there was a dynamic, different dynamics between raising a son and a daughter. I mean, I even noticed that. Um, you know, and there are, you know, there are some differences, rather sexist or not. You know, I'm open to that argument, but you know, there are there are certain dangers that men are more prone to than women, and vice versa. It depends what it is. Like jump off the cliff. Oh, of course, men are way more. They're willing to be the idiot daredevil. Women, well. Potential rapist. Yeah. So, you know, and that's me backing up on what I have to say about, you know, there's different dynamics of raising a son and a daughter. I mean, like I said, I'm an involved I mean, uncle. Like you got different things to complain about at this young right. age. But it's like when you have young kids, it's like the fact that you can't find a pair of pants for a, to for a toddler girl that isn't leggings. It's like, you're in the middle of December and it's like, I want to find a pair of jeans. They don't make them. You have to go to the boys section. Oh, creative critical thinking, I no, guess. It's like, you, you know, but it's like the, the way that little kids clothing is sexualized. It's weird. I, it is. Weird. I know. Yeah, I noticed that. Yeah. Like V-neck low cut tops on toddlers i mean what just what's wrong with just you know a t-shirt and a pants or a skirt or a dress with you know the cartoon du jour of the of the era yeah that's fine a cartoon du jour. yeah the simple i mean mo i mean 99.99 percent of kids don't even care about fashion design they, no, they do not care what they are wearing as long as it is comfortable yeah like as long as it is not too small too tight too yeah. whatever my son does not care what color he he does have a favorite color he wants he likes yellow so as long as it's yellow he is happy he doesn't oh, yeah, that... care what it is but as long no. as it's yellow he has a favorite color well let me just flip the the roles of that if i was that kid's age it would have been red yeah but red it's... red would have got me just uh if you give me green or brown or brown i always associate with poop so i don't want it yes yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it's like as long like as that. if it's yellow he'll be like yeah i'll wear that sure i think that's the some complexity every every yeah. toddler yeah, every, like, every time i got a preference when it comes to color yeah every time about that yeah yeah but there's and there's nothing wrong with that no no it shouldn't be no but it shouldn't be just have, have <laughs> things that fit and mm -hmm. i oh i have a friend with a daughter they literally make booty shorts. They make booty shorts for four-year-olds. That's she why I'm wearing to wear the conservative she, hat in this situation. She bought her little girl shorts from the girls' section, not realizing 
that you could see her undies when she put them on her four-year-old. And she she borrowed a pair of my son's undies, not undies, shorts that I had in his baby bag because she had nothing on her to put under. But it's like, why? Why do you need to put grown people's clothes on kids? You do not need to put grown people's clothes on kids. I am happy to wear the conservative hat entirely in this issue. I, Let I, kids be kids. You don't, you don't need to put grown people's clothes on kids, especially kids who have no choice in the matter about what they're wearing. Definitely say something about this, the parents. It's all the parents' choice. You're, you're four, five, six, seven, maybe eight-year-old has zero choice in the matter on their clothes. Yep. Until they get, until they get to be preteens, and it's like. And they really can assert themselves on their voice, the on their fashion style. It's like you are buying those clothes, you are making those choices. Your kid is not making a choice on what they're wearing. I mean, listeners, if this was a video type of episode, you would see my head down already throughout this conversation. It's just I can't agree with it. Let adults be adults, let kids be kids. Simple stuff. Uh, I mean, this is. Uh, to, to me, the, the kids are the new gen. I'm just going to say it. Gen I don't care. They're called Gen Alpha. My yeah. kids are called Gen Alpha. Yeah, Gen Alpha. Yep, that's yep. That's what they labeled. The Z's been fully formed years ago. And yep, this is <laughs> the one that's coming the up. The tail end of Gen Z is in like 7th or 8th grade is the tail end of Gen Z. Yeah. So, and my kids are Gen Alpha. And it's like, but it's, they're my my boys, you know, it's like my son likes dinosaurs in space and has a, his favorite color is yellow. I tell my I tell my you know people who buy him stuff that I have so many dinosaurs and space shirts and whatever. But it's like, but then I have friends who have daughters and it's like, if their daughter likes dinosaurs and building things and they still are buying her you know, dollies and sparkly pink unicorn things. And it's like, just cause she's a girl. It's like, let everybody have their own interests. If that four-year-old has an interest in dinosaurs, buy her a dinosaur. Nope, nothing wrong with that. If she- I mean, I think the boy Sally is much easier to do that. Cause the way that these toys are designed, all that they want, they, I, and they still got this outdated um, mindset. Okay, all, right, all the baby girls, okay, they're just, they just going to dress nice, do cookie, you know, cookies and dolls and you know, have the house oh and all of that. Oh, my God. That little that little girl. So we bought we bought my son a, a shopping cart with, like, fake fruit in it and stuff. You know, it's a way to teach kids, you know, apple, banana, whatever. And she, this girl is... Like she's 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 gonna kick somebody's ass one day because she's just that she's that kind of person. She got mad because my son was being three and she was being three and bunged him over the head with it with his shopping cart. It's like girls are girls are not all sugar and spice and everything nice. And that's that's fine. I mean, don't get me wrong, her parents dealt with and disciplined her for hitting my kid over the head with a shopping cart, but pretending like all girls are sugar and spice and everything nice is just full of it's just full of shit. Um, I, I mean, I already learned that pretty early. Um, <laughs> and by when I was a kid, especially with uh, with I mean, one of my first female friends, she was a legit 
tomboy. I mean, she got into the fighting. She might get dirty in the mud. That's so we know we put a stereotype of a male child. She and she did good in sports. She kept up with the boys in sports. I mean, she was certified. If there was like a certification for tomboy, she would get A marks on yeah. so many aspects. You know, I just think and, that you need to let let people be people, and you just you know, and also you need to listen to kids. Kids aren't stupid. If they if they're like something does my pants are too tight, their pants are too tight. Don't you listen to kids when they say, I like this, I don't like this. Kids aren't stupid. Kids know what they like. They know they don't have fully formed identities. Don't get me wrong. And you don't take everything that they say completely like as gospel, but you listen to them at least and take what they're saying seriously. I mean, my son's like, I I'm afraid of that shadow. Sit there, look at it. It's like, oh yeah, that is weird. Let's see what it is. Yeah, I mean that that's yeah, a healthy, definitely a healthy way of um doing that. So just say, oh man, or you know, toxic um masculinity, even femininity. I I try to be as gender neutral as possible. <coughs> stupid labels. Um, you know, if if the boy wants to be a sensitive, he likes artistry, let him have a canvas and a couple of paints and you know, not every boy is going to be a sports, you know, Titan either. Yeah. No, my, my son back here has his has his crayons and his markers and he has, a, he has an Amazon box that he's drawn the solar system on. Yeah. You know, you know not every boy is going to be a daredevil or super alpha, so to speak, being strong, oh, no. dominant. My, my one-year-old is like, is already jumping off the furniture while my four-year-old's like, no, I'm good. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. I think the one year old definitely showing some alpha traits with the risky, the daredevil. He's daredevil so. eats everything. Yeah. Oh gosh, he eats everything that my four year old doesn't eat. Yeah, I was like, uh, he is yeah, a I'm good. Human garbage can. <laughs> Here, his leftover pizza, whatever, oh, yeah. or whatever, okay. whatever. The, as long as it's not warm, he doesn't like hot right. food. If it's oh, cold, okay. he's he's all game. Oh, oof. Oh, you know. Oh, now me as a as a kid, I was already loving the hot foods. I mean, yeah. I think that's part of my Latin roots or something, or loving the spices and all that. But oh, the spiciness! Now they're they're slow, they're they're slowly getting a little bit more more spice. I mean, with my husband's family, I mean, jerked everything. It's like the the Jamaican Chinese like fusion foods are pretty good. Yeah, I tried it. They are good. Jamaican yeah. Chinese. Oh, they are good. I love it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Although- I, I love it. Although it's like, it's like how much spice they're going to put in. They're like, should we put in the right amount or the white amount? I mean, it's, it's interesting when cultures fuse. I always find that very fascinating. <coughs> I always find it very fascinating. I mean, if it would have been a, you know, society like way back, this is, oh, no, I'm going to stick to pure Chinese, pure white, pure British, pure whatever. I don't think, you know, you know, I think the world be a, a little less interesting place, but with cultural fuses like that, it's it makes it makes, uh, it, it makes life more interesting to say the least. Uh, I mean, I like every single fusion, but you know, we expect the fact that you know culture changes over time. You know, or it makes it's like Americans are more worried about cultural appropriation than anybody else is. That's a that's a purely that feels like a purely American thing, and maybe even yeah. a purely white. It's 
like white people are so scared when it's really just more about making money off of other people's culture that 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 people get upset about is mm -hmm. white people pretending like they invented something you know christopher columbusing something and then making money off of it as opposed to just appreciating what somebody else invented yeah there are definitely white people who pretend to be christopher columbus don't get me wrong it is a real thing but it's not everything is cultural appropriation oh yeah i think, I think it was some one high school student was wearing a some nice chinese dress and she got backlash for it and yeah and then the pose. chinese people are like no nah. it's now if that if that high school girl was like look at this dress that i invented that would be cultural appropriation oh yeah that i thought her props you did not invent that yeah but if she if she said look at this dress that i made all by myself and i thought of this pattern all by myself that's the problem right 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 i mean even um yeah even even i think uh well some of them got interviewed um i think it, there was another I'm forgetting the story, dang it. But yeah, but I remember I remember that where she was just posted, look at this dress that, that I got. She ain't claimed that she made it and all that. She just posed with it, whatever. And it was more Americans yeah. offended by it, I think, than yeah. no, I Asians. Remember this I'm sure there's a and few then, Asians that were offended. I was living in China when this happened. And Chinese people were like, why are they mad? I'm like, <sighs> trying to explain the idea of cultural appropriation. And they're like, but it's my culture and I don't care. Like, yeah, and yeah, and I, I'm there was even a Mexican flair one when one of them wearing a Mexican hat, all that. They just laughed. They just look stupid. Yeah. I wear it. <laughs> Silly Americans. Well, yeah, because <laughs> like there, there's an actual context to the sombrero, which I don't personally know it, but I know that there's that there's like a real context to the sombrero and a real reason that people wear or wore the sombrero and it's and Americans don't get it. Oh right, right, yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's interesting. Sort of like, I, it's interesting. I mean, like, I, I have one of those dresses, and I've, I've honestly never worn it just because I don't fit into it anymore. But I asked my, I asked my mother-in-law before. I'm like, would it be weird if I wore this? And she's like, it'd be weird if you wore it on a Tuesday, but if you wore it to, so if you wore it to somebody's wedding, it would be fun. Well, at least you got the contextual understanding of that dress. I don't yeah. fit into it anymore, so that is why I'm not wearing it. But well, that's that's more of a practical thing. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's right. yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna look stupid. Those things are short. I mean, oh man, I don't know how we got to children pairing all that, but it's actually very interesting, and that's part of the show. Sometimes randomness happens. I don't, I don't believe in scripting it or being strict about conversation. That's not my style at all. No, but I, like I think it. really at the end of it, it's that. We all have life experiences and our life ex experiences affect our politics. And if we, yeah. and we need to be willing to listen and trust and believe other people's life experiences being different than ours. And while we might not agree with them, we at least need to expect, believe people when they talk about their experiences. And if it's something that can be changed with, government policy then it should be and if it's something that you know we could do at home then we should do it at home right i mean yep i mean i agree with that so um but actually this is the last big um question i have um, sure i just want to switch it to the midterm the post midterm on results why can't democrats and republicans learn from these midterm results because it was no slam dunk even though democrats did much better than they expected this big red waves was happen but the but it got a red drip well, 
So Democrats don't vote in midterms. That is a historical thing is that Democrats only really vote in presidential election years, which so to a Democrat, this was more of a slam dunk than they could have ever imagined. It, it really was. And so what we have to as both Democrats and Republicans, Republicans need to realize that their their voter base is either not coming out or there are less people in their voter base than they realize. And I think Democrats need to just realize if they come out that what the candidate they want is more likely to win and that they just got to vote and you got to get people to the polls. And I think at the end of the day, what really just needs to happen is that we need everybody needs to vote that can. I mean, Democrats, um, you got to utilize your advantages better. I mean, mm. a lot of polling support that um, the, Ameri- the American population is more likely to agree with a Democrat comes to abortion than the Republican. I think that's what hit Republicans hard. And some oh, of, yeah. and, and oh, there's yeah. even some statistics that 5% of Republicans even voted a Democrat because a Democrat had was a better quality a candidate than a Republican, especially the Herschel Walker and the Dr. Oz example, which was which it was laughable yeah dr oz <laughs> no i i i think when it came, comes we need better candidates to be to be put up i think we need younger candidates <coughs> i mean we need younger candidates we need better candidates to come up we need people to just you know volunteer as tribute and run for office we need election reform to make it so that people can afford to run for office and we need to stop making it harder for people to vote and really on the state level need to look harder at that gerrymandering stuff because some places maryland being an example is gerrymandered in some weird ways some really weird ways we need to stop making it harder for people to vote i honestly think that we need to have a federal standard of voter registration in this country. Stop making it confusing. Yes, the states the states have the right to control the elections, but if there's a federal standard, we can just stop having this bullshit of what kind of ID does a person have to have? How early can you early vote? Just have a just let's make a standard in this country of this is what it you need to have to vote. This is this is how early voting can work or whatever i don't i mean a few things i want to add especially on the republican side is they need to they need to get with the times of early voting it really mm-hmm. hit them hard democrats even though this is i'll consider their off season and right because republicans definitely did vote it in the popular vote they voted more than democrats they do um, overall and and um and but thing is, the Republicans are just so anti early votes. And no, turn that for your advantage. So they say, oh no, we only vote election day because we are the real voters. We doing it a traditional way. And a mail in ballot is no, no, you gotta adapt to the to to, to these taxes. I think the mail in ballot is dying off. Um, in some oh, there states, are states but... there are states that allow everybody to mail in ba- ba- vote. I think the mail in vote is is the new is going to be the new way to go. And Republicans need to play catch up with that, such as early voting and, and mail-in um, voting. You know, so just being, oh, no, you know, it's fraud and all that. Is it imperfect? Yeah, I would agree it's imperfect, but it's not as fraudulent. And so far, a lot of results has come out, probably like at most, probably 0.1% like error rate. There's, so it, there's a very, very small error rate. 
yeah very small error rate yeah. the, so that I mean, narrative is errors is just that the election rules aren't purged as quickly so sometimes a dead guy will get a ballot mailed to them and what you do is you just don't vote with the dead guy's ballot because they can easily go backwards and be like hmm well, yeah, that guy's dead. Yeah, but there were a few far between. The progress where you say it's happening in such a massive scale. The it's Democrats are stealing the election. A lot of people are not buying to steal the election, especially even the center right is not buying it. No. And that's and that's what um what well, except for the MAGA Kool Aid people, but that's a whole different story. Yeah, <laughs> no, but early voting, I think early voting is going to end up becoming standard around the country at some point. Yeah, I mean, more states open up to I think. Yeah, Connecticut voted for it. I, I I I didn't realize that Michigan didn't have early voting. It's like I was went up to my went up to the uh, the courthouse and I was like, oh, where can I early vote? And they're like, you can't do that here. It's like, oh, like it's easier to early vote. I have small children. They're like it's on the ballot. Vote for it. Yeah, I I, I think that proposal passed. Or yeah, anyone anyone any proposal. That pro- I know Connecticut, it did pass. Um, I was checking ballot for each on me and and statewide. I'm not going to local. That's way too much for me. I could barely do state and federal with maintaining a high quality. I like to break it down. Um, Local, forget it. That's going to take like forever. And I'll I'll probably drop dead, pass out, going through every single election. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I I did a state by state. Yeah, Connecticut voted for (laughs) 2022. New York already had it a few years ago. I think, yeah. It, it was definitely a few years ago because even I didn't take advantage of it because I didn't need to yet. But one, but once time comes, I would definitely utilize it. And actually, early voting in New York actually went up, which is a good thing because when those first started, people was barely early voting in New York. In New York, which was a bluer state, to me, it's become more purple. New Yorkers, Republicans made a good amount of gains, especially in the House of Representatives. They took six seats. Yeah. That's pretty significant. Um, but Senate, uh, of course, Charles Schumer was very safe. He's the kingpin of New York Democrat Senate. I mean, it's very hard to get rid of him. Um, so oh, yeah. it's like Nancy Pelosi wouldn't wouldn't go anywhere unless she retires, which she is. Yeah, Nancy Pelosi has the safest seat in the House of Representatives. Mm-hmm. Period. Oh, yeah. And whoever her chosen successor is, which mm-hmm. it will be a chosen, she was a chosen successor for somebody else. I had an no. entire podcast episode about Nancy Pelosi. And there you go, shameless plug. Check out the sexy political. <laughs> My shameless plug, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, shameless plug, yep, right there. But check, I, yeah, I did an entire, an entire deep dive into Nancy Pelosi, and she was near. She was a chosen successor, and I'm sure that in the back rooms in California, they are choosing her successor. Yeah, I think um, I think it's um, who's the minority leader now? Um, well, Jeff- in New York, isn't he? Yeah, Hakeem Jeffries, yeah. Oh, Herschel Walker. Oh, my God. Oh, that's all right. Yeah. Oh, my God, no. That guy's a complete clown. <laughs> that yeah. was, even his own family exposed him. That's bad when your own family exposes you. Yeah. That's TKO. Yeah. Uh, so, Raphael Warner got it, and I disagree with the post. Like, Raphael Warner guy, he's going to win by three points, and my prediction was right on the money. I knew I was correct, but damn, I was close to, like, bullseye prediction. You should have you should have uh, taken a bet somewhere in Vegas. I know, yeah, I should have. I, I'm I have very low self esteem when it comes to betting. I said, damn it, I should have done it. I would have been I would have been a billionaire. 
right. how accurate I've been. But now, by the time I'm going to say these on air, for some odd reason, the thing is going to flip the round. I'm going to look like a complete um idiot, but that's the risk I'm willing to take um, at this point. So, yep, I I mean, I should have bet it on the on the Ralph and Warner versus Hell Shore. He's <laughs> going to win by three points, and that's what happened. Yep. I said all those, most of those libertarians, even some republics that are, are going to defect, they're going to go for um, Raphael Warnock. I don't, I don't agree with Raphael Warnock's politics, but I am a realist. I have a decent idea who's going to win. Um, and Herschel Walker was just crap throughout, and he was a complete hypocrite. He was yeah. pro-abortion. His own family even exposed him. I say, you're done. You're done. That's it. Yeah. You don't need another politician exposing you. Raphael Warnock need to do much. I mean, Herschel Walker's family should, might as well support Raphael Warnock, but no, all they have to do is expose him. Yeah, TKO. You're done. Yeah. You're done. This is this is even big. This is bigger than a scandal. Yeah, if you can't get your family online, especially Republicans, we the party of the family. Yeah, you're done. You. Yeah, like freaking seven percent Republicans defected to Herschel Walker. I mean, to Raphael Warnock. Yeah, that's yeah. So you know, Republicans pick better candidates. Um, obviously. Um, I mean, I could I could add two more. I think Adam Laxo was another wacko. Blake Masters was another wacko. Um, that gave that barely gave the seat to the Democrats. Um, and even um, Carrie Lake, if I want to go to the governor's level, um, she went conspiracy theory, insane insanity. And Katie, they dops her name, the Democrat. Yeah. Uh, she barely won, barely. Um, but but she won a win as a win nonetheless. And she did sue. I mean, that's okay. If you think it's crap, you sue. And then, of course, boom, shut down. Shut down. So there you go. Take the L and just hopefully, hopefully just run again. That's all I can advise her. But she's but she's kind of a nut, so I don't want to give her too much assistance. Um, because she's one of that, that MAGA wing people. I mean, I'm just anti-extreme. If you like far left, far life, far left, far right, right. Okay. Now I can't speak. Um, I, I I, I'm like I'm uh, I'm I'm turned off. I'm turned off. And that's what the two party system is supposed to be. Is supposed to protect against extremists. But the way that things are running right now, it's not protecting us from anything. No, yeah, um, especially the House of Representatives. There's a good amount of extremists there. Um, the Senate, I think, is kind of protected. Far left and far right opinions. If you have one or two people with far left or far right opinions who are letting their opinions be heard that's one thing but if you're allowing those people to take full control over everything that's that's the problem and when it's those five maga people who are prevent who are basically using their power to prevent kevin mccarthy from becoming speaker and then being like okay you gotta make sure you give me a seat on this committee and this committee and this committee yeah you ain't gonna vote this bill off have a commitment to that have that writing yep because the because those committee chairs those are the people who make it so that the bills actually hit the floor. Those committee chairs are important. Yeah, they are. And let's just pay attention to that because whoever's in control, they're going to be the chairs and they're going to have control over, especially um, based on the number they have, even though the Republicans got a bare majority by really four, four seats, not much, very yeah, little rigor room for error. And once it's five of them going, Four or five of them going batshit crazy on obstruction is gonna it's gonna go through, or they have to be very creative and work with the with the blue dog conservative Democrats if they if they're willing to help, you know. And that's all. That's also uh very risky as well. Yeah. Uh, so you, you have to be really creative, really cautious, and really calculating. 
at this point and and innocent as well thank you so much and i'm going to be sharing her massive social media link collection in the description of the episode yeah i i've uh i've basically i've i've ended my my quick toe dip into tiktok and i and basically i'm everywhere but tiktok um my my personal opinion wise choice (laughs) it's just it's just too much for me yeah no all righty then so thank you so much for your time you provide graces and check out her pod her podcast website sexy politico i'm on so the sexypolitico.com is the main website you can find me on all podcasting platforms you can find if you prefer to watch i do have a youtube channel and then facebook instagram not that great with the social media but i but I have it just so that nobody else can steal those names. Yeah, it counts for something. Exactly. So, yep. I mean, I'm going to eventually do a video part, but this is going to be all audio and just use your imagination. Fell in the blanks. Alrighty. All righty. then. All right. Bye. Thank you very much. Welcome to the second segment called Mid-Game. We only have three items here, and we are using The Hill. I think The Hill is a pretty good source, and so far it's been getting better. I know when it's clickbaity, and I know when it's pretty substantial. We have three items, all tech-related, obviously. And for the next episode, episode 129, I'm going to be talking about my preliminary review of Fire Emblem Engage. Yeah, I'm going to be doing a review on that. That'll be episode 129. Or unless the guest comes, I'm going to have to push it to 130. But that all depends on the guest. Okay? So that's what I'm saying there. All right. So let's get to the mid-game news. So BuzzFeed wants to create AI-powered content. Eventually, these these so-called journalists for excuse of them if you want to be, be honest with you they're gonna be challenged by this ai thing and they want to control costs controlling costs means lay off for big tech they're already doing it across the board google facebook i mean anything you could any big tech company you could think of are not hiring new people if anything they're firing use that word no more because it's too harsh they're getting laid off and buzzfeed is no different they'll make that part of the core 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 business model and chief executive jonah peretti says it's gonna be the way to lead the future well they already laid off 12 percent of its workforce last month that would be surprising to do more and they're not the only media companies doing that. Others are experimenting with that as well. CNN has done it, but the AI software has generated so much errors that they had to put take a step back. They this is this is a trend, unfortunately. And those in big tech, you thought you was untouchable. Well, you're getting hit hard. Either they're proactively, not nah, I would say like that. They are anticipating a recession. So that's what's going on with that. And then we get to our more chat GPT. It passes a war in school business tests, according to research paper. The professor Christian Terwishk found that the AI has, quote, has been shown a remarkable ability to automate some of the skills, highly compensated 
knowledge workers in general and specifically knowledge workers in jobs held by NBA graduates, including analysts, managers, and consultants. On a final example of operations management core course in a Wharton NBA school program, ChatGPT did a great job giving correct and it did very good also explaining it as well. Oh, they wish to could perform that well. They graded a B, some of it B plus, like B plus to B, depending on what part of the exam. And it matched the problem correctly, got the right solution, but kind of it referred to the wrong problem. So that took away some points. So it failed to get an A. So an A plus student could still outperform ChatGPT, but they have to study real hard and put a lot of dedication. These are the valedictorians, the A personality people. Um, and it, it made mistakes. It got corrected by experts, and and in a, in a, this of course, um, the popularity of this thing is growing rapidly. You really know about the public school system in Seattle, New York City. They're abandoned. Like I get into that. You pay attention to the previous episode one twenty seven to get a little more detail about that. And it is saying that we need to do more analysis, more analysis of this thing. That's all you're. That's all you're gonna get here. Now, this one, my personal favorite, third item. ChatGPT was your second item, and BuzzFeed was your first item. The DOJ, Department of Justice, um, they're suing Google, and I agree with the DOJ, so I like Mer- Merrick Garland's direction here. I'm kind of critical of him. He's also in my book. It's like, a, depends on the situation. This is a second antitrust lawsuit the DOJ has filed against Google. Okay, so he's been a little persistent so far. And the states that follow along was Virginia, California, Colorado, Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, Rhode Island, and Tennessee. And according to them, they have used anti-competitive um, practices so they could just dominate all the ad space, killing the competition, especially small businesses. And of course, the Google person saying, ah, the deal Jesus doubling down in this crazy argument. That was slow innovation. Rising advertiser fees make it hard for thousands of small businesses and publishers to grow. Well, for those that don't use Google, they will grow. They might have a bit of a point if the business can use them well, but the business is not for them or although not how to use their services well. Well, they might fall apart. I won't say for sure that they will. But the court saying that was a four or five is monopoly position, executes anti-competitive strategies, and throw the competitive part process. Thereby rising costs, reducing choices, stifling innovations is an important industry. I'm going to side with the DLJ here, not Google. Google's been a dominant force. They have too much power. They acquire too many things, and it needs to stop. So, I mean, this is the first time it did was December 2020. And it was Texas that led the charge. The collaboration with DLJ. But now they're going for it again. They must have found renewed evidence. And Google is continuing its monopolistic practices. I'm going to cheer for the DOJ here. And I hope they succeed this time. I really hope they succeed because if they don't, I'm going to be disappointed. Not that I'm going to lose sleep over it, but I'll be very disappointed. So let's wrap this up. It's going to be a very short segment because we're going to have a lot of content in the next segment for sure. And I'm not going to reveal much what it is. Let me give you a little bit of hint. This is a pro-union left-wing person. And this one got Noam Chomsky approval of it. So if you're left-wing, want to listen to that? Well, this is the episode for you. BuzzFeed wants to use AI to create content. AI is a poor excuse of a new source. 
I don't take them very seriously. They only good for stupid quizzes, but they will use the AI to do that to enhance that experience. I think that's important to the AI, but who am I? I'm just a guy yelling at the mic. Then ChatGPT did pretty well in the Warren Business School test, Operation Management, and it got a B. Well, if the professor were strict, a B minus, but the professor's pretty fair, a B. And it says that it had the right solutions, but failed at the wrong problems. The A plus student could still perform, but it's gonna take a lot of effort and dedications. ChatGPT is a pretty formidable opponent, but it's not impossible to beat. And then the DLJ renewed its push to the second lawsuit with the collaboration of various states like Virginia, California, Colorado, Connecticut, New Jersey, New York, Rhode Island, and Tennessee. Okay, and they're saying they have legitimized, now they have delegitimized competition by maintaining its monopolistic control of ads, especially digital ads. A publishers, advertisers, brokers, you name it, have total control and it's true, they have a lot of control of it and they should just go after um Google. They should really go after TikTok and ban it. That's been my position. I've been very consistent on this, a national security risk. And we gotta reform the technologies that are the tech the big tech that's in here as well. I, I mean I'm not gonna let them off the hook either. I'm pretty sure I won't be surprised as a criticism for some of you. Um it's the only reason why it's valid because I've elaborated further, unless, unless you piece it together in my mid-game responses, but you have to create a capitulation for that. Texas was the first to lead the charge, and it looks like, um, they didn't do too hot, or they got the outcome that was insufficient, so they renewed the charge DLJ, and I will support Mary Garland in this situation. I go by interests and issues i don't care about party i don't care about the person why i i do but at its proper context you know let me just reword like that you know if the person's doing the right thing regardless of democrat republican in my opinion i will support it support him or her they're doing the wrong thing regardless of party i'll be more than happy to criticize okay that's why i stand Okay, with this out of the way, we should reach the third and final segment. Alright, you roll the dice here for the weird topic finale. Sometimes you might get extra political stuff. Sometimes you might get extra tech. And you know, this this is a roll of dice kind of section here. Third, random. This is random, but very important. Let, let's not um minimize the importance of this because um we definitely need a refresher of union-based history. And I have the author here himself, Jonathan Melrod, and he wrote this black and white book here which if you if this was audio you'll see me just doing a shame i'm doing a shameless plug it for him right now okay i'm doing shameless plug for right now as a podcast host i believe that's part of my extra duty with an asterisk on it and it has a it has a black and white photo him and trust me it is not only white people which means he means it when he's anti-racist okay 
You know, some people preach a good game, but they don't exactly follow it. And we're going to get to that, especially with some of the whole union worker kind of thing, especially the Democrat Party. I mean, Republicans, you don't expect much from them, let's be clear. Um, but the Democrat Party, they're supposed to be the, the part of the union. I don't know. They're not acting like it. And I do see where they're coming from there. Just with the rail union strike, for example. And I'm sure there's other examples that they're going to kindly and enthusiastically point me out to it. So let's welcome Jonathan Melrod. And he's not the only one that's here. We have um Tyler here, who's going to give me insight about, I think, Starbucks unionization organization you know grassroots kind of style organization and then tyler if i get anything wrong feel free correct me on the spot uh, my eagle is not big it's very small so yeah, just feel free to do that and he's gonna give us kind of coverage that the media won't give you okay you know the media has its own agenda they act like they're pro-union but when it comes to the bottom of it let's just be clear it's not because the media is part of the status quo, and that part I agree with a thousand percent. So, welcome both of you. Thank you, Elias. We're ready to go. All right, so let's start briefly with the fighting times. About the only simple question is why do you decide to write it? Well, that's a question that's often posed to me because I wasn't an author, you know, I was good at writing a, a uh, flyer to hand out in the factory, calling on people to fight against speed up or forced overtime. But I never considered myself a writer. And in uh, 2004, I was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and given only six months to a year at most to live. I mean, it wasn't a maybe or you can do this. It was you've got six months to a year to put your affairs in order. And I told the surgeon that that just wasn't going to happen. I had a seven-year-old and a 10-year-old, and I planned to be around to see them graduate high school, go to college, and get married. And it's a long story how I took up the battle to beat the cancer. It, a lot of it, if people are interested, is on my website, jonathanmelrod.com. The epilogue that was going to be the entire story of fighting the cancer is couldn't fit in the book. So it went into the epilogue. But let me just say, I was determined that I was going to beat it no matter what it took. If it was Western medicine, if it was Ayurvedic medicine from India, if it was Chinese herbal medicine, I went to them all. I did my chemotherapy and I did my radiation. But that gets me to the question of why I wrote the book. Because my two young sons said to me, Dad, we don't, we don't get it. Why did you go to work in a factory where the chemicals are killing you when you could have, after graduating college, become some kind of professional? And I knew that if I didn't make it, if I did leave early, I wanted to be able to leave behind for them an understanding of why I had devoted my life to trying to change the world and fight for a better, more equal, more humane world. So I started writing the book. And the longer I lived, the longer the book got. <laughs> so by the time by the time I finished that 850 pages, 
which don't worry, readers, it's only 320. But it was a great exercise in looking back on my life and being able to leave something for them. And we talk about it now all the time. So that was really the what sparked me to put the work into it. The last thing I'll say is writing a book I thought was going to be a lot easier than it was. Um, you know, during COVID, I got up every morning. I was at this computer at nine o'clock and I was here till five o'clock for three years, seven days a week. Um, so it, it was a long haul. But if it inspires one person, two people, more people, young people like Tyler, who are, who are where our hope lies with these young people, then I've done my job. Oh, yeah, definitely. And since it's more than one of you, I want to make sure that someone's not left out of conversation. So, Tyler, let me start off with you. I'm going to make things a little different here because I want to make sure, you know, and no one gets dozed off, no one gets left out. Um, and I mean, if if you're left if you're left out, then obviously I did a shit job as a host, and people could catch me on that. So just um, educate me and my listeners about what's going on with the whole Starbucks workers union kind of organization. Where we at on that? Yeah, do you want kind of like a, an overview or just like a, an update for context? Both. Okay. Um, so for folks who aren't familiar with, um, our campaign, um, about a year and a half ago in, um, about August of 2021, um, there is a store in Buffalo, New York that filed, uh, for a union. Um, and basically overnight, um, the organizers at that store received a number of inquiries from other parts of the country, uh, including from Massachusetts where I live, um, and over the last year and a half, what we've seen is a, uh, a significant increase in the number of stores we've had filed. We're up to 280 union victorious stores, stores that have decided to vote for a union, um, with I believe about 300 more who are, have filed and are awaiting election. Um, and, you know, Starbucks has like 9,000 stores, so there are a lot more to go. But... Um, what we're seeing is a lot of workers, um, not only in Starbucks, but of course, as you mentioned, you know, earlier when we were talking, Amazon, Apple, a lot of areas in which um, you have a lot of people who are making minimum wage and are doing service jobs and are organizing in sectors that were previously not organized in this dramatic way that we think of with the trade unions or, um, you know, sort of nurses unions, teachers unions, etc. So what we're seeing is a, a massive sort of influx of union petitions um, coming from unlikely sectors. And I think it has a lot to do with the state of not only the world in which we're living in currently, um, and a lot of organizers being of the Gen Z and millennial um, generations like I am, um, but also that the living and social conditions that we're currently experiencing are pushing us towards labor organizing in a way that is akin to you know, the days of old, the days of the, the 60s and 70s and 80s. Um, and I think that this represents not only a callback to the old style of, you know, believing in and organizing unions, but a pushback from what unions, I think, have stereotypically become in a lot of people's minds, um, sort of in exchange for something new where it's it's grassroots, it's worker rank and file led, right? Trying to push back against the the clear problems that did exist in those big bureaucratic unions that 
kind of ended up doing nothing um, and challenging them to move the needle forward and actually, you know, kind of mobilize and actually lead to change rather than just giving money to the Democratic Party. You won't get that in mainstream media news. <laughs> Heal success stories. See, I already knew this. I'm telling you, I, I, sh I should have been more involved in politics in my earlier years. Um, that's why I get for being a self-critic, being critical of myself, being a cynic. But hey, better late than never. That's that's actually great news. You're not gonna hear that from ABC, CNN, CBS, and then Fox News. If you hear it, they're gonna demonize it. Uh, so, you know, and I mean, I think Jonathan. I mean, the future is looking kind of bright with that one, at least. Well, if I could ask Tyler another question, because this is sure. something he's uh, elucidated to me that is a real difference between the traditional train union movement and what these young people are doing, which is they're building what they call an intersectional union. And I think that's really important, you know, and I, if you could, you know, expound on that a bit, Tyler, I think that would be very helpful for listeners. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for, uh, for bringing that up, John. Um, <clears throat> you know, I imagine that a lot of folks are familiar with the concept of intersectionality, but if not, um, the basic understanding of it is that every identity that a person possesses um, subjects them to a certain type of treatment, whether it's prejudicial treatment or privileged treatment, right? And with every identity that everyone carries, we would be completely missing the point if we didn't recognize and fight for every identity that's marginalized in our movement to, you know, for a class struggle. Cause you know, we like to say, and oftentimes they like to parrot that, um, you know, racial justice is labor justice or, you know, labor rights or human rights, whatever. But if you don't actually back that up and you allow your movement to just sort of cater to the status quo, which is often white and male, um, then you're doing a disservice to all of the workers who are similarly oppressed, but don't feel themselves represented in the movement. So what we're doing is we're not just advocating for across the board, you know, um, labor rights without any sort of specificity. We're really working to fight concurrently every single issue um, that we're seeing in society, not just identity, but, you know, climate justice, the war machine. There are so many things. Everything connects to our labor, right? So really recognizing that nexus and promoting every single identity within that um, to not just change our workplace at Starbucks, but to change the system itself that has created this inequality. That's what we're really focused on. Um, so, yeah, thank you for bringing that up, John. And I should say, Elias, if I can just take a minute. Sure. You know, when we when I first went to work in an auto factory in 1972, I had been a college student and there was a fairly large number of us statistically more than 10,000 who had been radical activists on college campuses. And we wanted to carry on that movement for a just society, but not on the campus, out in the community. So we took jobs in industry, mines, mills, auto factories, garment factories, post office, et cetera. And primarily at that time, unions were restricted to fighting over wages and working hours and, you know, more mundane day-to-day -day issues. Not that they weren't important, 
but they were that's what they were fundamentally based upon. We tried to make a change, not as sophisticated as Tyler's talking about, but for instance, our local union in the UAW, we held the first Martin Luther King Day celebrations in the United Auto Workers. And we won the first day off in commemoration of Dr. King before the national holiday, before the International Union won it at other factories, because we felt that that was part and parcel of the job of the union to stand up for all of the members, particularly the black members who were second class to second class, you know? And that was, you know, that wasn't always the easiest thing in the world because we were in Kenosha, Wisconsin, and that's a predominantly white rural area. And I'll never forget after we had year after year had promoted the Martin Luther King Day events and they became bigger and bigger till there used to be a thousand people would come to the union hall to celebrate the day, primarily people of color, but also some progressive whites. I, um, I was sitting in a bar and I felt something sticking in my stomach and I looked down and it was a 38. And the guy next to me said, hey, I'm Deadeye Di Marino. And you're that commie Jew who keeps handing out that Fighting Times newsletter at the plant gate. And I don't like it. And I don't like you. So I said to myself, damn, this is going to be a rough one to get out of. Um, so I said to the bartender, Midori, I said, Jim, Midori, double shots for both of us. So we did that. And then I next minute, double shots for us again. So we started talking and I started saying, look, doesn't our Fighting Times newsletter fight for conditions in your department, in the maintenance department, where they had a work stoppage because the foreman was making a guy drive a fork truck where there was no cap on the radiator and he was burning the hell out of his butt? And he said, yeah, you did. And afterwards, another couple rounds, he was hugging me. You're a union brother. I support you. And from then on, when I was at the gates and he'd come by, he'd always give me a nod. So it was important. We don't need to give up on anybody. Not everybody's going to agree with us. But if we can open their mind, they're often open to our ideas. Um, but that was my best shot at intersectional unionism. I mean, let me just point something out. And... You know, to put it from the old young or just flip it around, um, you know, you set the precedent, you know, you, you, you know, you're the precedent example and Tyler, he's carrying the torch. He's making sure, you know, union organization, intersectional, intersectionality, which is more the evolution of it. You know, he's keeping, you know, he's keeping that alive and even adapting changes to it that makes it relevant for the time. So. You're both for, you know, you're both for keeping it alive. You know, he, he learns, you know, he uses, I'm sure he uses to some extent as a, as a precedent. Right. And then, and then maybe you'll learn, maybe, yeah, you know, it's weird for me to say this, but sometimes they all learn from young too. Cause you know, young could bring some new fresh ideas, keeping the, the intersectionality union alive. I mean, me don't don't rely on me on 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 that one because I I have to be won over because 
I've seen some misapplications of it, and it kind of it kind of scared me off. I even got to argue with one of them, and a few of them end up with fist fights. End up on top, of course, because they hit like sissies. But that's a whole nother story. Uh, let me not let me not boost my ego up. But um, you know, so this is I think I think just to your credit, this is let me just concise it as nicely as I can. You know, he he learned he learns from you and you you know, and you got to remind us that the union culture is still alive and well it's not just an 18th century 1960s kind of event it's happening right now of course to um tyler so and tyler you keeping it alive so that's a credit to you on that one you could just say ah eh, this shit doesn't work jonathan's crazy who cares i was give me a better uh a better job if if if, it, if that exists so you know you know that's credit to both of you on that one i mean I mean, to be you know, clear, I'm, I'm, I'm just one of many. I'm not keeping. I'm not keeping shit alive. Oh, I'm over there to swear. Sorry. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Go okay. ahead. Yeah, we're not. I'm not keeping shit alive by myself. I mean, I'm. Right. I'm one of you know so many incredible organizers. I'm just uh, mm-hmm. you know lucky to be be doing this kind of work. But um, yeah, I mean, getting mm-hmm. to meet John, I definitely we've had so many great conversations and reading his book and and also just getting to talk to him uh, quite a bit. I've really enjoyed and, and have taken a lot from that. And we always talk about how we kind of have this like intergenerational mm-hmm. connection and i think that's very mm-hmm. true about you know our movement currently the new school union generation movement and uh you know the old school sorry john the, the old school uh labor movement as well i think there's like a really great uh camaraderie uh between the two generations which before you know anybody from john's generation which is like my parents generation um are saying like oh you know you kids and your technology whatever and we're going oh my god you you guys and your x y and z but you know, this is something that brings us all together and, and, you know, we've learned so much from each other and that's, that's the beauty of it. So that's, that's why I'm grateful for knowing John and uh, grateful for being able to be a part of this uh, labor resurgence. So, yeah, I just want to add that. Let me just say one real quick thing, Elias, that uh, in my day, we used to talk about the old days as the thirties. Now Tyler's talking about the old days of the sixties and seventies. So I got to be honest, I feel pretty dated. But, uh, you know, I'm still kicking and I'm still active and I still got hope. So. <laughs> no, that's great. Uh, people don't look don't look to Twitter for intergenerational um, unity. <laughs> You're not going to get that. If anything, is a war between the boomer, millennial, the Gen Z when it comes to stupidity, really. Don't look to don't look for Twitter. Don't look to Twitter on that. People just don't. It, it, it's a it's a dumpster fire at best. <laughs> <laughs> don't look to that people if you think twitter is like reality uh you got another thing coming so that's just that's just my little um two cents i'm gonna put into that, that intergenerational um unity when it comes to a similar cause so uh, that, that's a good thing me i'm obviously in the millennial generation in my early 30s who's been you know a, a very cautious person um, when it comes to many things and and to some extent even um selfish because i don't want to i don't want to you know risk my neck on the line and then I get screwed over. I've been screwed over before. So I think that's what that experience carries from, but enough about me, but, that, but this is good. This will actually give me some hope on unions because my personal opinion with unions is nuance. It's some unions. I like some unions. I just hope it falls apart. Teachers union. I don't really care for um, I have my issues with them. Um, they keep shitty teachers there and I have to agree with the critics on that. I've been to schools and, but and when it comes to the workers like Amazon and 
Starbucks, I'm more open-minded because I, I know people's working on Amazon right now. It's not easy to put it very, very mildly. And, you know, he's, he's in the same generation as, um, Tyler, for sure, my nephew, um, you know, he's saying it's hard and, you know, the safety conditions, you know, it's not, it's not what Amazon tells you, you know, that nice smile is a, is a nice mask that they put on, but, you know, um, so it's something that I'm, you know, looking forward to learning about and reshape my outdated thinking to some extent when it comes to unions. So I think, can I, right. you a question? I think sure. Tyler has some experience with the people who've been organizing at Amazon that might be helpful for this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. But I want to focus more on Starbucks because we have okay. Tyler here. So right. I want to, I just want to, yeah. yeah. Well, I we could talk about Amazon. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Like just, just so, uh, you know, to kind of set the foundation for the conversation, mm -hmm. how do you understand, like when you think of a union, like what, what, how would you like, what's your definition, right? Cause I think everybody has a different idea of what like a union is, whether it's the bureaucracy or whether it's like the idea of like workers coming together in its purest form, like, like, how do you vision, like, what is a union to you, right? Well, I'll start it off. You already hit the two main points. I see it as both. And that's why I'm sort of in between. I see it as this bureaucratic bullshit that defends bad workers. But if it's done right, it's great for the worker. And so my politics will lean towards favoring the worker, you know, the, the, the top person, you know, he rich, whatever, he could figure something out. I'm not, I'm not that concerned about the one on the top, and I shouldn't be. Um, I can relate more to the worker in a, in a lot for obvious reasons. Socioeconomically, we're pretty similar. We have a more pragmatic, down-to-earth point of view. While some of them on the top have a very different point of view. I mean, look at, let's, let's use someone as crazy as Elon Musk. His mind is in outer space, linking chimpanzees to computer. Most regular people ain't thinking about that. We're just fighting for rights there. I mean, who got time for that crazy shit? Yeah. So my understanding of thinking is a bit messed between bureaucratic bullshit to, to defend the bad worker, like the teachers union, for example. The nursing union I support because they are actually fighting for the worker. Teachers union, I'm more against because I think they're they keep a lot of shitty teachers there. That's just my personal opinion. And but uh, you know, the the Amazon and the Starbucks worker, I'm open to have a conversation. So I lean towards um supporting them because um I have read some of the conditions and it's not the best, you know, if, you know, so just, so that's my, that's my definition. It's a mix of the two. That's what I eh. I go case by case in other words. Well, for sure. Before, yeah. before you, Tyler, one second, before Tyler addresses what Elias mm -hmm. has said, I got to just for a moment, jump in on Elon Musk because Elon Musk uh, owns obviously Tesla, although it's not mm -hmm. worth what it was before he started messing around with Twitter. But the point is that at Tesla, the working conditions are horrible. There are black workers suing against massive racial discrimination. There have been unionizing drives there where people say they're actually forced to work just enormous numbers of overtime hours to get production out. And they go hand in hand. He's a billionaire. He's an oligarch. And he's going to make that money out of the workers. So. There's a link between what those, quote, successful people have done to get to their success. But Tyler was going to answer what you were referring to, Elias, so I'll be quiet. Oh, no. I, I mean, I, I think 
for me, I, I think that's really important. That's why I wanted to ask you, Elias, because I think that how you answered is exactly how a lot of people see unions. And I know talking to workers at other stores um, constantly, you know, with at non-union stores, you know, trying to encourage them to, to start organizing, a lot of those sentiments are the same. And I think that there's a, a really good reason for that. And it's because over the last 50 years plus, um, these major bureaucratic unions have not actually served the workers. They've served the Democratic Party. They've served the upper crust of these unions, but they have not really done anything for the workers um, aside from offer more protections than a non-union workplace. So in in the grand scheme of things, you know, I'd rather have a unionized workplace than not because there are more protections. But if you're not advocating for workers, then who are you serving, right? And so I think that the bad taste in the mouths of a lot of uh, workers about unions comes in a lot of ways from, you know, corporate propaganda and stuff like that, but also from unions themselves absolutely failing their workers. And I think that the way that I perceive kind of the question that I asked you is, if there was a situation in a workplace, be it a teacher, be it a nurse, be it a barista, be it a garment worker, et cetera, and there was a problem that affected all the workers um, in that in that department, right? Should they all fight it individually or should they come together and decide a way to approach it in a way that they outnumber their boss and can leverage their power, right? To me, leveraging your power collectively with your workers, that's what a union is. Taking away the bureaucratic ideas of what it's become, which we can agree is perverted, a union as in like literal, think of a marital union, uh, you know, anything like that, coming together, that's the power. That's the beauty of organizing, not just in the workplace, but in er any sort of area, place, social movement. That is what a union of people is to me. And I think that's what I so badly want to change uh, the old ways of what unionism has been and make sure that it is fully run and represented by the rank and file and not stopping to fight until it is absolutely representative and run by workers. We don't need our you know, presidents or whatever getting paid high six figures and not listening to workers and bargaining on our behalf. Screw that. We need to be in the bargaining rooms, at the bargaining table, making these decisions. I don't need to make any more than the other people at my workplace work to fucking re excuse, to represent them for a union. If I'm in a leadership position, my job should be to report back. I'm a worker first and I have an obligation as a representative to represent my workers. And that's not what's happened in the past, but I think that's what needs to happen. And for me, a union is just that simple idea of people coming together and then it's been perverted by the bureaucracy. So I, 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 I yeah, that, that, that was just like the, the the sort of duality that i see of like bureaucracy and actual coming together but that's it i'll shut up now. oh no 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 keep talking i mean you know, i want this conversation free flowing you know i'm you know i'm not the podcast dictator you know telling you to <laughs> shut the hell up and just go what i say um spread anti-union propaganda say oh you know it's bullcrap only the fat cats on top are making the money and the workers yeah. are getting screwed over what kind of screw over do you want the corporate screw over or the union boss screw over you know yeah, i could right, say something like right. that but no no, but I have a I have a very nuanced opinion because the nursing union, I would say that was more of a success story that happened in New York. That was more of a success story. The what happened to railroad the railroad workers, especially with Biden and Congress stepping in. Yeah. To me, that was more of a failure, but I don't blame the union. That was just me getting at the Democrat Party. But that'll happen. This was a pro-union. 
Yeah. What is this? But well, I'm not surprised because a lot of them, you know, they're for the rich, just like the Republicans. That 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 that's a commonality that they share. I like Anything to, you want to add? I like to, yeah, I definitely would like to jump in a bit because I've studied the railroad union situation pretty extensively. And here's what you've got. The there are seven monopolies that run the railroads across the country. And they're unregulated by the government. Quote, free enterprise. So there's no regulation whatsoever. So over since 1983, there are now 427,000 less workers. There are only 209,000 workers. So what they've done is they've been allowed to squeeze and squeeze the orange so that they're getting an increasing profit out of a fewer number of workers. So the last contract round comes around and there's anger on, in the, amongst the railroad workers. First of all, in the nine months of, in, 1920, in 2022, those seven major companies earned $21 billion in profits and spent $25 billion on, on stock buy-bends, buybacks, and dividends. The CEOs were each paid an average of $20 million a year. Now, the workers were fighting to get some paid days off so that when they were sick, they could go get the doctor medical care and they wouldn't be penalized on their job. Here's an example. Aaron Hills was 51 years old. In June of last year, he died of a heart attack. The reason was he canceled his doctor's appointment because he was afraid that he would be disciplined for missing one day. Now, that's why I call my book The Class War. They were willing to kill, basically, Aaron Hills to keep him on the job. And here's where the Democratic Party really fell down, because Biden had created an emergency committee to negotiate the contract, and they couldn't even include five paid days off in the contract they were proposing to the railroad workers. That's just abhorrent, it's inhumane, and it's greedy, because on the top, out of that 27, 25, whatever billions of dollars, those five days a year don't amount to much. But in a worker's life, it amounts to the difference between life and death. So, yeah, I'm critical of the Democratic Party that claims to be the party of labor and the party of unions when they can't deliver for working class people. One could even argue they don't want to deliver. You know, who you know, that's probably a little spicier take. But, yeah, I was... I mean, to be honest, I was not surprised. I mean, he already screwed over a couple of unions. If people was paying attention, I saw he's going to put his heavy hand on this via Congress. And yeah, to be it, it didn't. I wasn't shocked. You know, savage someone who was in the more critical, cynical camps. Huh? They all right. There you go, big boy Biden. Let's handle over it. Boom, iron fist. Get your lazy asses back to work, even though they have no days off. I mean, they'll be lucky to have a basic medical benefit. And yeah. yeah, I mean, 
I believe in benefits. You should have way more days off than five. Let's just be clear. At least 12 minimum. And if you want to argue for more, go right ahead. 20, 30, whatever. We can iron out those details. But, you know, it, yeah, that's that's really inhumane. I mean, if you want to if you want me to be convinced that's inhumane, I don't need much. That's really inhumane. The fact that he had to choose between his job and his health. We in the 21st freaking century. I thought he had that resolve. Apparently not. Evidently not. No, we haven't, you know. And I just wrote an article on Facebook about the strike that's going on in France. I used to go over to France a lot because I worked at American Motors, which was a 50% owned by Renault, the National French Auto Company. And there, the workers have five weeks summer vacation, and they have to take it. Here, people have a week, maybe two weeks. They don't always take it because they're afraid the boss will think they're not on the job enough. Workers there have won the rights to early retirement at 62, and Macron would like to make it 64 or 65, and they're going to fight in the streets to keep those benefits. You know, unfortunately, we don't have that same level of protest culture among the working class to put up that kind of opposition. But I can see it with Starbucks people. Tyler, I think you should talk a bit about the strike that I think was in your area, Boston, that went on for five weeks without any pay and why it started and, and what happened. Well, I definitely want to hear this. Yeah, so it actually went on for um, 64 days, so just over two months. Um, and this was the uh, partners at 874 Commonwealth Avenue um, in Brookline, Massachusetts, which is just right next door to Boston. Um, and yeah, they um, the main reasons they were protesting um, and went on strike is because they had a manager who came into their store shortly after they won their union election. Um, and for context, Starbucks is um, currently, and I'm not saying this um, hyperbolically, they are literally, they've committed so far um, over 1,200 violations, uh, 1,200 counts of labor law violations uh, and counting, continue. Uh, so they're currently, historically, um, one of the most egregious union busting companies in terms of like sheer counts of labor law violations. Um, and that's significant and something that we're really trying to highlight um, because their PR is everything to them, um, especially Howard Schultz, who has a massive ego. Um, but the point of that is um, in June, the workers at 874 Commonwealth won their union election. And shortly thereafter, um, an anti-union manager came uh, to their store and basically subjected, you know, our movement is largely queer um, and subjected a lot of the workers to um, homophobic and, and racist comments, um, kind of focused a lot of the animus on um, the more outspoken organizers in the store um, and created hostility to the point that after only a month of that manager being there, the workers were like absolutely fed up. And this is the beauty and power of having workers come together is that at the time we'd already had a pretty solidified movement to where when they came to our region about this problem, all of us, and mind you, this we're all just workers. We're busting our ass full time and then organizing on top of it. We all said, okay, what can we do to you guys? And, you know, all came together and supported them to, uh, 
basically take the longest strike so far in Starbucks um, campaign history, um, 64 days. And there were multiple times where, you know, the police were coming. They brought, uh, you know, transport vehicles to try to intimidate us. Uh, one of the officers started trying to record us, uh, took his camera out, which is um, per se illegal for officers to record civilians. Um, and on top of that, um, the Pinkertons, the long historied, um, you know, kind of private for hire, hire you know, um, hitmen for hire thugs that corporations would hire all the way back in the late 1800s to bust the heads and disappear organizers. Um, but of course, uh, went into the legit business of private security and are now a multi-billion dollar security firm. Um, the Pinkertons came to the line as well and were in the store after the strike ended. Like, so you can see all these nexuses between large corporations, the, the police state, um, the government and politics um, of like the so-called Democrats, right? Um, and then also with um, private security interests and, and the ways in which all of them work together to try to suppress worker movements. But it was an incredible battle, uh, a really historic fight. We ran a 24-hour picket line, uh, so it, we were never without people on the line um, for 64 straight days. Um, and that's because the Teamsters who deliver um, the food to our stores, um, they have in their contracts, they will not cross the picket line. So we maintained the picket line for 64 days. No deliveries came through and the store didn't open. So um, we're happy now that manager is out of the store. Um, the workers are back in and um, the new manager has been treating them with respect and they seem uh, a lot happier. But um you know, that's just one example. And we know that this is just kind of reaching a fever pitch. It's going to get worse before it gets better. But that's why we fight. And that's why we stick together. I mean, I'm going to quote a source here that I find interesting from I'm not sure you heard of Petra back David, who owns on Valuetainment. He said 2023 could be the year of massive protests this year. So... <laughs> You know, this is coming from someone who leans right politically. Yeah. Um, he's saying that, you know, the, a lot of protests is going to come because of unhealthy or filthy working conditions. A lot of stuff is coming to the light. Big techs are laying off shit ton mm -hmm. of workers. I, I, mean, I mean, police you know, murder also. Police murder. Yeah. And more investigations to it. Also, year investigations. He didn't know about Tyree. And how yeah. brutal that death was going to be. I mean, that's a hell of a way to start this year with, you know, the beatdown of a young black man who has a child and his main hobby was shooting, filming sunsets. Yeah. It's not some kind of bad dude from the neighborhood. You know, I mean, he was crying out for his mother. And I can't watch the video because it's just too upsetting. I represented I mean, four young people of color who had been murdered. I represented their families as a criminal defense lawyer. And it was became so upsetting to me after five years. And I had already beaten cancer once. And I said, this is going to just bring me down because these families can never be repaired. You can win them $4 million in a civil suit. But that doesn't mean nothing when they lose a family member. So who you're quoting, who I'm not familiar with, I plead ignorance, didn't even know about this year was going to start off with what just happened. 
in Memphis. Emmers added, no, he didn't know the specifics, but he was just saying, based on the current trends and all that, investigations, protests is going to happen. He never, obviously, he, he, he didn't go to specific. He said, I could even be wrong in these predictions. Don't be surprised if one of them goes way off. He gave that disclaimer. So I give him credit for his disclaimer, <laughs> his very clear disclaimer. Someone leans on the right. And I pay attention to him when it comes to certain um things. I think, you know, I like that he's interviewing people on the left, that you have it both sides. I mean, I inspire to do that. Well, sometimes even three sides or four sides, depending on how complicated the issue is, not always two sides. But yeah, um, yeah I don't want to get too stuck on Pat Metric David because we're talking about unions and, you know, well, all this but see, stuff. that's the beauty of it, though, is I think this is all connected. And if mm-hmm. if I can get on my soapbox for two seconds, and if sure. I stretch too far, let's shoot it back. But you know, earlier I've been trying to like dial it back because first of all, I, I want to talk about fighting times. I want to be, I told John I want to be like a, a compliment to him being here. I don't want to be like, you know, the main focus or even half the focus. I want to be in a supportive role to what John is talking about, because that's what I believe in. And he was courteous enough to invite me. Um I wanted to say that um earlier when we were talking about like the the rail union strike and the Democrats, you know. And again, push back if 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 it comes up, and if you just want to re-steer the the conversation. But I'll um, go right ahead. Okay, you know, we talk about Democrats, talk about Republicans. I think that it's fair to say that there is a a one party system, and it's the it's the ruling class that is already bought and paid for every politician. the The real differences that most of these politicians have are truly the social issues that they talk about, right? You have the conservatives who most oftentimes have conservative social politics, um, and that's where you know you get your like Trump base and people who may harbor more racist, sexist, or um, anti-gay, etc., anti-trans rhetoric. Which is not to say the Democrats don't have that; they do. But that is what the conservatives often cater to, right? And then you have the yeah, let me just interrupt you for a second. Yeah. Uh, this is extra nuances. Yeah. The thing is, with the right, they're more proud of it. They brand themselves right. that way. That like the Democrats says, "Oh right. no, we're not for that." But right, once exactly. the, you know, once the evidence comes to light, they're right. no better. They try to right. Get them I guess so we go can ahead. Call that, like implicit and explicit racism, right? Ex- Conservatives exactly. are explicitly bigoted. Mm-hmm. Liberals and Democrats still, the outcomes of their policies are still bigoted and still negatively impact people who are marginalized. The only difference is they try to use identity politics to singularly say, no, we can have a situation which, you know, we're being representative and diverse, but the system we uphold is still a white supremacist settler state that oppresses and subjugates people. But this time it looks more diverse than what the conservatives want, which is the white version of that. So I think that when we think about this, the ways in which things are trending, right? Um, the the death of, of Tyree is, um, incredibly tragic and disgusting and no amount of respectability or how you carry yourself or behave will protect you from the police. It doesn't matter how upstanding or kind you are. You there should, first of all, you should not have to be nice to not get fucking murdered. Right. And second, um, the police are going to continue to widen the net that they cast to, you know, uh, they've been attacking protesters at a 300% increased rate over the last three years. Um, every year since George Floyd's murder, uh, the number of police murders has gone up and the funding for police has gone up. So, you know, you have the liberal performative, uh, 
you know, performative measures that they take for identity politics and the conservatives who just double down, but they're on the same team for building the war machine abroad and building the police state at home to suppress and destroy um, any sort of people-led movements. And that's where labor is key, is that we are all workers. And if we have an intersectional labor movement of all workers in all industries, we have the power because we create the you know production and the things that everybody values that makes the fat cats fat and if we shut that down and take our power back collectively then we can that is our best chance to fight back against this corrupt system that is seeking to crush us and that cop city shit in atlanta that that was a training ground not just for atlanta cops but it was for the uh you know other other police units uh, were coming into Atlanta as well. We're going to be utilizing that and more cop cities were going to pop up. So we need to be looking at that as like our last stand because they're training to learn how to suppress social movements. That's what cop city is all about. And so this is our time to fight back against it. I hope 2023 is the year of the mass protest. It needs to be because we don't have much time left. And that's why I'm sorry. That was my soapbox. But I just want to go. With no, that. no, no, go. No. No, I'm all for it. I want an open conversation. Like I said, again, feel free to swear. I am not a podcast dictator. I don't. I don't do. I don't believe in that. Um, if I did, I would talk to myself and treat the listeners like peons. And listen here, you stupid peons. This is what you got to believe. If you don't believe in that. You are. You are a queer apologist. You know, I, I could just go whatever hat I want. I study both sides really well. I can sign like a real lefty. I can sign like a real right. I've studied the lingo and all that really, really well. But yeah. I decided not to do that because after a while, it eats my soul, even though I have a yeah. good face. It's not just like I put a poker face, but after, I'm just going to collapse all of a sudden. It's like, what the hell happened to him? <laughs> oh. Well, don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah no. Oh, no. Don't worry about that. I've tried it for a month as a test trial, and after a while, I just got sick of it. Um, pretending yeah. to be like a far left, a far right person, just for trolling purposes. I had my fun, but you know, I, you know, but after a while, it doesn't do anything. It just hurts the discourse. So yeah. you know, we got to get serious and put our, you know, you know, put our grown up suit on. Let me just be, you know, I don't want to say big boy, big girl, um, under <laughs> undergarment, you know, because it just yeah. sounds very <laughs> awkward from there. So. You know, yep. So I'm going to do a, just a short yeah. shameless bucket for you guys. Yep. Hell yeah. Get this historic book. This is an expansion of modern union history, what you can learn from it. It's still relevant, obviously. Uh, they're debunking my cynicism right now. And get the book. Get the book. I don't care if you're anti union, just get the book. You might be enlightened. Sometimes the. The person you don't like or the ideology you don't like could enlighten you. I don't believe in being an ideologue slave. I'm open to where perspective makes the most sense for this country. And now I'm leaning pro-union. This is why I allow guests to have on. I admit I don't have answers to everything. I don't have the 360 view of every single issue. But this is why I love to have people on. They can expand it. And I, you know, and this is not over yet, but I like to thank on John and Tyler for that. So I'll write it in. So yes, I just wanted to follow up and I really appreciate you, you know, bringing attention to the book and it's really important for people to know that if they buy it off my website, it doesn't give me any money, but they go directly to the publisher 
from my landing page on jonathanmelrod.com and they'll save 40%. And if you don't go there, go to your independent bookstore because we don't need to be giving Amazon any more business than they already got. No, damn straight. Because I was going to say, aha, you be the hypocrite. Gotcha. The Amazon business. Yeah, gotcha. I was going to be, uh, I was going to keep that to myself, obviously. I was like, hmm. I'm sure listeners gonna tell me that. Oh, look at that! He's just he's playing far left performative theater and all of that good stuff. No, but sir, but the the link is legit, people. Um, make sure. Oh, there it is. The the link is like funny with me. Direct directly go to PM Press. It matters where you go and use the code word fighting fighting for that forty percent off. You might be struggling financially. You might as well apply it. <laughs> I think to uh, like reverse Uno card back to John, I think that the reason I've gotten so much from him and talking to him and the reason there's there's not only joy in our intergenerational connection, but also there's a lot to be learned, as you alluded to earlier, Elias, from the boomer generation, because John also lived through a shit ton of wars, nuclear, you know, concerns and, and fears um cold war politics um and pretty much most of the same shit i mean 1971 was uh when the epa was founded and like you know back when silent spring came out in the late 60s they were screaming about climate change 50 60 years ago and i'm wondering to put it to john what sort of strategies they thought about and implemented then that are applicable now as we're dealing with a lot of the same shit and maybe the chickens coming home to roost as Malcolm X would say, but also why, like how it feels to you having been my age in like the sixties and seventies, seeing that we're still dealing with the same shit, you know, like I'm curious both what you've learned to approach it and how you feel about it still being a problem and how we can change the course of, of that. Well, to be really frank and honest, we didn't deal with it. You know, we weren't aware enough to understand where we were headed in terms of the destruction of the planet. And the 60s were very different in a sense. We were, there were hippies in the streets. You know, we were headed to Haight-Ashbury in San Francisco. And we believed that there was a new world developing out of our youth culture. So that occupied a lot of our mindset. Now, I was a bit different because I was active with the Black Panther Party, and I was responsible for selling the party paper in Madison. And I used to have a squad of about, you know, a couple of people, and we'd sell 350 issues of the paper a week just to students in Madison. And that's to show you something, because those were a lot of white students who had open minds at that time. Now, interestingly enough, if you go on my website, there's a whole section on my FBI file. And one of the, the first entry in the FBI file memorandum is Jonathan Melrod is selling the Black Panther Party newspaper, and he's been calling their office in Chicago from his house in Madison. So we were dealing with those kind of issues, you know, and I was asked to be a bodyguard for one of the members of the Panthers who came to speak in Madison. And that meant I was carrying a shotgun up on the stage at the University of Wisconsin because they had just killed Fred Hampton in Chicago. 
So we were more occupied with how do we end the Vietnam War? How do we protect the Panther Party from destruction? And unfortunately, we didn't take up those issues, which has led us in part to the mess we're in today. But it's a good question. And I think with Internet, too, you could definitely expose some things as well. That's a big that's a big difference compared to that. I think what was the earliest form of Internet was 1970s when I read um, when I read a book about how this one organizes generations by the type of technology emerges. Uh, it's a pretty interesting book. I'm not plugging it for obviously it will also be, uh, I would say, a self-conflict of interest. But uh, but anyways, yeah, um, the earliest form of Internet was 1970s. Through an email, and the email idea didn't come from America; it came from India. Actually, a lot of people don't know that. Um, so, you know, that's the earliest form of internet you get to get, and I'm sure most people didn't know about that in the '70s. So, but fast forward to now, we got a hell of a lot more internet connectivity, and you know, for better or worse, one could argue for that. So, I think that's a difference I just want to point out. So, messages could spread faster. Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, you're right. We didn't even have fax machines. So when Nixon invaded Cambodia, 200, <clears throat> over 200 schools went on strike the next Monday. And I don't even remember how we organized it. I mean, I guess we called each other on a payphone or on, you know, a, a dial-up phone. So you're right. Now there's a tremendous advantage if we use it right, not spending your time on Twitter, like you said. But use it right or as TikTok. An tool or TikTok as an organizing tool that gives us an advantage because, you know, we just didn't have those things. I mean, you know, the way I see it, I'm a historian. I'm going to use, you know, you're the product of your time. You did the best you could with what you have. You know, you know, don't beat yourself up too much. I, you know, let me just put it in context. It was like, oh, they could have done this 1960. Uh, excuse me, you know how those times were? I mean, obviously, I wasn't born in Thailand, obviously, wasn't born in those times, but I did study as, uh, no, we didn't even have a freaking fax machine. You want to while primitive, you know, from today to that time, you know, they did the best they could and what they have. You know, don't expect, I don't know, B.C. Egyptians to say, oh, slavery is a bad idea. Oh, no, slavery was good for them. It boosts their economy, you know, and, you know, there's, certain, there's still certain forms of slavery, but you get the point. You know, you do the best, you know, you do your best you can with what you have. So that's that's just my own point. That's all I just want to say to that. That's well, all. It's interesting, though, because to to the point about technology, right, I think that John's example of um, there being like a an FBI file on him, right? We know all about COINTELPRO, the CIA, hot wars and cold wars, the coups, all that stuff. But you know, the Eisen, I remember Eisenhower was one of the last generals to warn about the military industrial complex, right? And then we saw, especially with um, with johnson and nixon and you know thereafter the true development of what we now know is the military and prison industrial complexes um and it's interesting because as technology has progressed for my generation i wonder if it's not only a benefit but also a hindrance because you know they were killing people left and right in the 60s and 70s and still still were up through history and today but I think the, maybe they've gotten more covert and we as young people exposed to this technology are less 
aware and guarded maybe as folks like John were in the 60s and 70s that, you know, I can only imagine when, like John was organizing when the these complexes were just starting to really grow and expand, after 50 plus years, they've gotten really good at keeping their stuff close to their chest. And I don't know if my generation is uh, nearly as guarded as John's was in terms of protecting their safety, but all of our information's out there. So I wonder if like, for example, Starbucks hired um, former Pinkerton and CEI agent Amanda Stanfill to um, basically oversee global operations of, of retail, which I don't know what that means. Point is they hired a CIA agent to work for them. We already talked about the fact they hired the Pinkertons, but this is a more blatant one, right? <clears throat> so what could this people be, what can this person be doing? What are these corporations and government entities doing to surveil and suppress organizers like myself, like my colleagues, like other organizers in Atlanta and Memphis right now, especially with Cop City, um, that we don't even know about, but that in a moment's notice could result in us like getting arrested, disappearing. I mean, I'm sure you saw the terrorism charges against the Cop City uh, inhabitants, right? For literally like lounging around, they, they're calling them domestic terrorists and trying to put them in jail. I mean, how close are we to that, right? And and how much are we ill-prepared for that as a generation compared to John's is something I think. Yeah, that's definitely a my and your generation kind of um problem. I'm, I mean, I I like I like your analysis there on top. You you're definitely on point. They definitely got more covert and definitely sophisticated about what they do because back 60s, 70s, they were, you know, if we want to use our millennial Gen Z had to see that. So, oh, it's obviously FBI and all that, because of course we studying it academically, but um, you know, you know, they were more vicious. I mean, the even assassination of JFK, I don't want to slip into conspiracy mm -hmm. territory, but you know, they did that. Oh, he exposed the shadow government. Boom, you know, yeah. but now, oh, now, yeah, yeah. So they definitely got more covert. I will definitely say that much and more sophisticated about how to do operations. There, if I'm going to take a bold prediction, they definitely do more sabotage within if they're yeah. going to succeed more uh, than going out there and just, you know, assassinate someone from, I don't know, from a, a building across. Well, like they did with thing, JFK. you know, just because we're on this topic, I want to recount one anecdote but uh when i moved from madison to milwaukee there was a special unit of the police force kind of reminds me of the scorpions who killed Tyre, but they were called the red squad and their job was to make our life as radicals as difficult as they could and there was one night that i knew they were following me the guy's name was harry who ran the red squad and I could see him in the rearview mirror, and I knew it was intimidation, and I drove at the speed limit. They pulled me over. They put the lights on and pulled me over. Said, out of the car, let's see your driver's license. So I gave my driver's license. I'm, this is in the dead of the Wisconsin winter, which, you know, temperatures are below zero at night. And after I took out my license, I put my gloves back on. They said, take your gloves off, put your hands on the back of the car. So my hands were on the cold metal of the car and they took an hour just screwing around with my driver's license. And my hands were getting literally frostbitten and attached to the back of the car. When I pick them up, they'd say, put them back. So they wanted just to make it clear and overt that they were in charge. I think now they're willing to be covert and in charge. And that may be the difference that Tyler's talking about.
No, no, like I said, his analysis is on point. If they're gonna do any disruptions or even destroy movements, it's gonna be covert and it's gonna be from within. And that's why vigilance must increase. If I'm gonna give a percentage that's not too hyperbolic, like three hundred percent. Study the body language, terminology, how they behave. I mean, you have to put your psychology hat on. Uh, you know, if something seems off. Look into it. Don't just brush it aside. Oh no, that that person's having a bad day. Uh no. You know, there's always more to it. So why is this person using espionage as a term, for example? That's not a normal conversation. You don't hear that word in normal conversation. Huh, I'm look into that. Hmm. We might have a rat. <laughs> we, you know, um, even though I've played these games with my friends about werewolf and all that, you have to find a werewolf and kill them. They're the ones that are destroying the village from within. You know, I'll have to use a silly example, but you have to catch the suspect that is blending with the crowd. And, you know, if you catch that person, um, just be smart about how you can expose them because some of them, they're going to be very clever. They're very slippery. So that's just my advice more for my generation. Gen, well, in the Gen Z as well. I think um, the alphas are there. Babies right now, and this podcast is not for the alpha. Um, I don't want no babies listening to this podcast. This is for grown people who can't handle controversial opinions. Don't listen to this podcast. This is, you know, this is for this is for like the eighteen plus year old crowd and up. As long as you're alive, obviously, <laughs> that's that's most inclusive I could be right there. So you know, I mean, we're gonna get to some uncomfortable stuff, and it needs to be talked about. Instead of shying away from controversy and spicy topics, we should talk about them and address them. That's my uh, approach. Thanks. Elias, while we still yeah. have some time, could we mm-hmm. ask Tyler to give us a little summary of where you see Starbucks going, the unionizing drive going right now? And sure. What you're mm-hmm. asking us in the public to do to lend support to your movement. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so in terms of where I see this going, um, I think in terms of our movement, just as organizing more stores and expanding, I see us going towards um, addressing the ways in which Starbucks is acting irresponsibly. I'm concerned to say specifically the problems that they're basically giving us a, a full opportunity to talk to partners about because, you know, just in case this uh, crosses the path of one of those CIA people in Starbucks, I don't want to give them any, you know, tips here, but I think that um, as as more and more workers continue to feel the tightening of the belt, especially with a looming recession, especially with the continuous um, and, and more blatant aspects of greed, so, you know, you know, CEO corporate greed, um, <clears throat> and as conditions continue to get worse with inflation, with rent prices, etc., I think more workers are becoming disillusioned to the fact that your boss has your best interest. Um, and I think that right now our movement has had a year to truly learn and grow. Um, and Starbucks has, as you know, just incredibly um, unrepentant labor union busters, right? Um, they're basically putting themselves in a position without bargaining in good faith to where any sort of pushback to run a decertification campaign is incredibly suspect. I don't believe that they can get the clock to start, right? After you win a uh, union election, you're not allowed to try to decertify a store as an employer until one year passes. 
However, that's subject to the fact that the boss is operating in good faith and not violating labor law. In this case, as we've discussed, Starbucks is an egregious offender of, of union busting and labor law violations. Therefore, they're buying us more time before they can run a decertification. And in that time, we are growing more intelligent. We are working with more of our colleagues like John, who are teaching us the ways of old that can we can implement into the ways of new. We are learning more about what we don't like from old bureaucratic unions and throwing that out. We're becoming a more militant and democratized movement of workers. And quite frankly, I think they've messed up by union busting so bad. You know, Trader Joe's was smart. They saw unions forming and they paid their workers uh, a $10 an hour increase on Sundays. And it really slowed things down for a lot of workers. Uh, I'm trying to organize. Starbucks did the opposite. And I think that's what pissed so many people off and made them want to organize. And at this point, there's nothing they can do to stop us because we've grown so much stronger while they have continued to violate the law and have bought us time, that at this point we will only grow more connected. And we're currently focused on supporting every store that we have so that instead of trying to grow too big without support, we're building our base. We're making sure that every store is militant enough to hit them where it hurts and be able to take action to go on strike, right? And as we look at um, UPS with their contract fight coming up in August, as we look at May Day coming up uh, and all these other terrible societal and, and global issues that we're facing, these are all mobilizing opportunities for us to work toward a general strike. And if the CEOs were smart or knew their workers at all, which we know they don't, that's why we are better at organizing, they would be you know, doing everything they could to sweetheart us. But we're past that point. We are building towards a general strike of, of epic proportions. And I think that that's really where we're heading. Um, as for what folks can do who are listening, um, I think the average supporter can go into their Starbucks store uh, nearby and find out if the store is unionized. Um, there are a number of great websites. If you literally Google everyunionstarbucks.com, it'll show you the uh, unionized stores near you. If your store is not unionized, go in there and talk to them about the union. And if you have any questions about that, you can reach out to um, you can reach out to our regional email, sbwu.massachusetts at gmail.com. Um, or you can go to the Starbucks Workers United website, which is sbworkersunited.org. Um, and you can sign up for the newsletter, get a bunch of information to talk to these workers about what the union is and what it involves. Um, but that's the bare minimum. Go get a coffee, order at Union Yes, give them a tip, say you support them, whatever. Um, but if you want to do more substantive support, <clears throat> there's... Uh, you know, getting connected to sign our um, support pledge, which um, I can share here as well. Um, but it's also available on the Starbucks Workers United website. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at SB Workers uh, United. I, I just like, like on Twitter and Instagram on TikTok uh, to get more connected to the campaign. But on top of that, you can really do a lot to um, show up on the picket lines. If you have any skills, backgrounds, money, you know, resources regarding like on picket lines, we always need speakers. We always need tents, chairs. There, every person has something to contribute. You can make a hot meal for someone if you don't have money. This is all about building community and building solidarity. And so if you are a part of a union, a part of a workplace, got a skill, got a compassionate heart, there is room for you in this movement. And that's what we want to do. So please get involved and, and just go to those sources that I talked to you about, find your nearest store and, uh, you know, join us out there, stay, stay current. And um, when push comes to shove, you know, don't buy Starbucks gift cards, 
That's one of our big campaigns we're pushing right now. Don't support Starbucks. They make a lot of money with gift cards, especially around the holidays. Tell them to go to a local coffee shop or another union store, but don't don't support Starbucks in that way. And if you got friends and family, tell them to uh, tell them all about what Starbucks is doing. And if you got colleagues who work at Starbucks, tell them to organize their store or send it to us. But other than that, that's my shameless plug. But John, thanks for giving me that opportunity. And, and Elias too. This is great, by the way. Thank you for uh, for talking about this stuff, guys. No, not a problem. And. And since I'm a bit of a scatterbrain, you might could provide those links. So I could clearly, you know, give them the pathway to my listeners. Oh, yeah, some of them yeah. are, some are like in um, Jonathan's age, some is around my age, and a few of them is around your age. For some reason, I attract them older folk. Maybe they think I have an old soul. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I have a millennial body, but I have a boomer soul. I don't know. That's my that's my theory. But um yep, no, do what you can and you know, support good working conditions, you know. Happy workers do improve productivity. Science has proven that time and time again. But yet the CEOs they decide to, you know, they put their heads in the sand or they just hide in the bunker. They said you this is us unions, so you know, well, one day they'll learn. Well, Trader Joe's was smart about it. Um, which I didn't know about. I didn't know Trader Joe's had, had this kind of issue. That's why it's good to talk to people. Talk to people. Talk. You'd be surprised what you can learn. You know, a good, you know, internet got a lot of answers. <laughs> but, you know, sometimes talking to people really does help. It makes a difference, you know. Information without context or use is useless. Well, so, no, too, if, if John has any uh, suggestions or thoughts for uh, for Mike, I know he and I talk, but I'm curious, like more abstractly, like speak to me, John, but also speak to anybody else listening that organizes. Like, what would you what do you recommend for not only people to support us, but also for our campaign specifically? Like, what should we be like? What do you see as like good advice? If you have anything to pass down? Well, there was one thing I was just going to say that just shows how this show is bringing us all together. I just looked down at my notes for the day, and at one o'clock, I have a phone call with an organizer at Trader Joe's in California to discuss strategy. Um, I got to be honest, at 72, this is getting a little rough, but, you know, that's exciting to me, you know? And what I would say, Tyler, is you've done a really a very good job in explaining the Starbucks situation. Um, I think it's really important that your newsletter, which is really good. I listen, I read it. I think it's bi-weekly. It's bi-weekly. Yeah. Yeah. I read it and that should be out there more because that's where I learn how many stores are being unionized. You know, what's the developments that are going on? And I think that's important for us in the public to know that. Because, you know, I think as Elias has pointed out, you know, clearly not everybody thinks the way we do. And, you know, it's people like Elias that are giving us the opportunity to speak to them. And we got to take every opportunity we can to speak to them. Um, So, you know, this has been great. And um, I've got 20 minutes to eat before I move on to Trader Joe's. But, uh, yeah, I want to thank you. Elias and also Tyler 
for, uh, you know, putting this all together. It was great. Yeah, I mean, you know, I only could do so much alone, right? I mean, you know, I thank both of you for joining, you know, and educating us, you know, not lecturing us. You know, you woke idiots in colleges learn something from that. I'm very critical of the woke movement. Probably so. You're not teaching my mind on that one. <laughs> yeah, the woke, no, the woke movement is, is nonsense. And that's what drove me away from the Democrat Party. I say, you know what? Fuck it. I'm done with it. I was a Republican for two years and I said, fuck it. I'm done with them when they drunk the Trump Kool-Aid. Proud independent ever since. So, you know, that's just my little that's just my little background. So I repeat probably the 30th time already. I'm pretty sure my listeners think I'm, I'm a broken parrot key at this point. So, you know, check them out. You know, get, give it a chance. Open your mind. You know, you could do some good practical good. You know, you don't have to be a a billionaire like this egotistical nut who I know who was fake from the beginning, Harold Schultz. I mean, his face just, it reveals it to me. If you're not paying attention, people, you know, you will get duped in ways that you won't even believe. I re- especially when he ran as for, for president, I knew he wasn't going to win and dirt was coming out. I was like, yep. Yeah. Once you keep burying, once you keep shoving shit underneath the rug, it's going to come out. I said, like, he's not going to make it. I'm not worried about him. I was worried. So I was worried more like someone from like Biden. But you know, and Hillary Clinton wanted to make Howard Schultz her Secretary of Labor. How ironic would that have been? That's incredible. I didn't even know that. Yeah. No, oh, wow. I didn't know that. But there's no surprise that that's probably the millionth reason why she lost to a a, a nut like Don Dump. Yeah. So yeah, you you know you know people learn, research, talk to people. You'd be surprised how much you could learn. That's all I gotta say. So let me just stop rambling if any final thoughts you want to add before i wrap this up no i just i i look forward to the chance of getting back on with you where i could really get into fighting times my book and you know try and teach people what those of us who were in the 60s who felt that we had to take on continue our mission by going into the working class and working on these dangerous jobs that gave me cancer you know, I'd welcome that opportunity, but I think today has been really inspirational for me. And I hope a lot of people out there listen to it. You know, I know we're going to put it up on our social media, which is about 10,000 followers. And I'm sure Tyler will do the same with Starbucks. And, you know, obviously, Elias, you got your crowd. So that word's going to get out there. Yeah, no, I got my, um, so far, mostly center crowd, a mix of some left, some right, but mostly rational people who is willing to be objective, cold, bullshit like it is, even within their own um, camp. And I certainly do that, especially when the independent acts stupid. Oh, I'm extremely critical. I said, oh, you stupid. No, we're making independence look bad. <laughs> we got to act all close to perfect. You know, this is what bipartisan um, jumping, you know, gang, you know, they want to gang up with the third little party, the Democrats, Republicans. That's one of the few things to get along in. So, you know, I'm just I'm, I'm like, whatever. I could ran on all day, but I don't want to hold y'all hostage. So now it's been great. And um, it's been really, really great. Yep. Um, That's why I knew this was going to happen. I knew it was going to get deep. I knew I have a general idea how the conversation is going to go, especially I, I got super curious about the Starbucks union. I knew it was going to go on for a long time, but I don't mind it personally because I look at this as a learning journey. You know, like I said, I'm not a podcast dictator. You know, that that's going to promote. Uh, I'm going to promote 
Howard Schwartz, like he's a god mm-hmm. or something. While you know, peasants like Tyler, he's just oh, you know, these people are so entitled, so stupid. They're peasants, you know. I you know, I can act like that. It's 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 fun, but it doesn't do anything to improve the world. So people don't forget to get fighting times to get a fighting discount at forty percent off. Thank you. And, yep, no, no problem. Yeah, it's an incredible book. Um, I, I met John in June, and um, I was able to get a, a copy of his book. He gave it to me, and uh, I read I read a lot of it back on the plane ride home uh, from Labor Notes in Chicago back to Boston, and uh, I finished the rest of it over like the the course of a, a couple weeks, and it it really has kind of guided me, and I feel like I have his voice in my head a lot of the time, um, which is good, except for when I'm trying to sleep. Um, but other than that, you know, it's, it, it's a really incredible book and it's, it's wild that, you know, he's like the, the activist Forrest Gump kind of guy. Like he just was everywhere all at once, but unlike Forrest Gump, he was very conscious and actively working to make his surroundings better. So I'm grateful for John. Um, his book is incredible. Um, and I'm grateful to be here today. So thank you for inviting me, John and Elias. Thank you for inviting John and allowing me to come on. Uh, and interrupt your space like this. Uh, it's it, it's been really fun. So it is no, it is. Let me just cut you off right there. It is no yeah. interruption. If anything, it enrich the conversation, and <laughs> I could easily pivot. You know, that's that's you know that's a good thing about having a project manager's mindset. You could you could adapt, make changes without going. Holy shit! How I'm going to change this conversation? How I'm going to have Tyler in? Oh, guys, such a fucking inconvenience! You know, I could have just panicked like that, but no. I that's good thing about having a project manager mindset. You adapt on the fly. You make changes as you go. Change is constant. You know, I'm not just you know I'm not just some rigid person. All right, and John, I'm sure I'm. Eating up your meal time. There you go. Let's see what we're wearing it. So this is it. This has been a lengthy but very formative, very rich um conversation. So just check them out, and we're gonna have those links about how you can support Tyler Starbucks Union in general, or you know, and if we definitely gonna have John on for the next season, definitely I would say probably probably more like fall winter twenty twenty three. That's that's what I give it, and I'll be done with this book, and I'll. I'll ask some substantive good questions for sure. Okay. I'll be done with okay. it. Oh, thank you.